Hello, everybody. We are back with Eclectic Soundtracks, episode number 61, with Mike Norris, uh, host of My Classic Album. My Classic Podcast? Jesus Christ, tell me what it, what's it called, Mike. <laughs> my I've Classic Album. i on the damn thing. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, My Classic Album. You're right the first time. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a I'm to, the camera seems seem weird to myself, Mike. I'm sure I'm bigger than the. We like to always start unprofessionally. I don't part, and I want to make sure we stay with that. There we go. That looks a little better. Anyway, so Mike, what part of England are you in? So I live in a little city called Durham, which is not far oh. the northeast of England. Yes, oh. dude. Holy shit. I don't think we ever talked about it. My, one of my best friends, Guy Laverick, who we've had on the podcast, fantastic okay. musician and guitar player. Dude, you should get this dude on your show. He, is, I want to say he's in Durham because you're like oh. near Sunderland, right? Yeah, not far from there at all. Yeah, dude, yes, that's amazing. I've been to that area several times. It's been years since I've been over there, but I love it. I've been up there, Sunderland, Durham, Newcastle. I think that's the, the little town we used to hit all the bars in. Was Durham? I could be yeah. totally wrong, but I mean, you can get around it all in one night. It's a big, yeah, stu- yeah. It, it's a big yeah. student city now. So, like, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, you can. Whereas with Newcastle, I think you've got to. You gotta oh, yeah, pick and sure. choose. Bigger city, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I've been uh, to Newcastle once or twice, but Durham was like, I think the, the regular, um, you know, we'd go bar hopping on. I mean, we were younger back then and, you know, we'd like to, like, like most rock metal musicians, we'd go to the bars with a bunch of, with a bunch of girls that wanted nothing to do with guys like us and stand there and be like, she's hot. <laughs> All right. Let's have another pint. Yeah. That sounds so, all right. Next bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really cool, man. Wow, very cool. And I, dude, I love your podcast. It is such a cool idea. Um, and I don't remember how we initially got in touch. Do you remember how we got in touch? I, ima- I imagine, I think what, there's, there's one or two ways that I look for guests. I either, I was just saying to, to Vic before you, you came on that sometimes I just think, oh, I'm just going to send this, this person an email because the worst thing they can say is no. Um, right. others, it's, you know, I think the Facebook algorithm has a lot to answer for. So sometimes, you know, I'll just be scrolling on it because they know that I'm always chatting with bands and singers and stuff. All these bands and singers that it thinks I like. They probably just saw my band name as a good Rogering and was like, oh, well, this is English. Yeah. I, I That's think where that, I picked I th- this up when I was over <laughs> in, you know, Sunderland, Durham years but, and years ago. That's where this whole band, the band name came from, for better or for worse. Yeah. I had yet to know if it was... Cool. If it's funny and cool or the worst decision I've ever made in my life, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> my band's called. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it was so cool because one way or another we ended up connecting and the album. Now you are, <clears throat> are have you started up a second quote unquote season? Uh, you, I want to say you done, you did 50 episodes. Is that right? So we've done three, uh, so it's 56 episodes now over three seasons. Okay. And you did. So this I like, bragging rights here, right? So I was yeah. like guest number twenty four or something, somewhere in the middle of. Mm-hmm. And you did maybe it was your first two seasons then that you did a what do you call it like a battle of the ba- you know battle of the podcast, battle of the bands, a battle of the albums for because every all your guests basically essentially pick one of their favorite albums or their favorite album, blah blah blah. Yeah. And then what was so impressive about your podcast I had such a blast because. You do a you you really do your research. You're obviously really know you know what you're talking about, and you're a huge music fan. And you go track by track through these albums. You know everything about it, and it was just fascinating. I picked Appetite for Destruction's Guns and Roses because that album was hugely pivotal to me. It's probably I could cite it as the reason I started playing guitar, and it was like shifted me um, kind of right right when I was coming to be a teen to like, oh my gosh, I want to play guitar. I love rock, and like got me into rock and metal, and um. 
And so it was just, that's why I picked that album. And when we talked about it, I learned things from you and it was just such a cool way we did it. And so this is what you do with all your guests. And then you had yeah. a, a big battle of the, of all the different albums that had been picked over the first 50 episodes. Was that correct? The first 50 episodes? Yeah. I think it just seemed like a good time to do it. And like right. I say, I think yours was about halfway through. So I think it was like second season. Right. Appetite is actually one of my favorite albums too. So when you'd said we were doing this, I was very excited. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, yeah, what we did essentially was there was like a, like a 50 bracket and I think it was our Instagram followers basically right. each day there was a different poll with two different albums and we just ran it down until shortly before the final episode the, the 50th episode aired and appetite was the one that won that's right i picked the greatest album ever people <laughs> <laughs> according to, think, to mike's podcast was it i think it was rumors i think it was between rumors by fleetwood mm-hmm. mac and appetite for destruction and i was like that is oh dude yeah i mean rumors fuck i didn't <laughs> have a lot of you know, my, my, my parents growing up, they had a hand, you know, a, a little case of cassette tapes. My dad had a bunch of records, but you kind of like, I guess it wasn't listened to a lot of that. We had heard some of it in the night. When I started getting into to rock and stuff and playing guitar, I like discovered all that. He had all these Hendrix and Beatles and Sabbath. I'm like, dude, like, what the hell? Like, why, why weren't you playing these things? Like, <clears throat> but I remember like a handful of albums, Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Doors, Greatest Hits, you know, Elton John, Greatest Hits. And uh, one of those was was uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors was one of the early albums I was introduced to that we'd always listen to on you know family road trips or whatever. So yeah, I mean, undeniably a brilliant album. What were some of the other ones? So Metallica Black album was in there, right? Was there? Yeah, Black album did pretty well. Uh, Night of the Opera by Queen came right, right. third. Um, I've got I've got most of them next to me actually. Uh, Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen, Revolver by the Beatles. Oh yeah, oh they're just you know they're amazing albums. And some that surprised me that I thought, well, that'll do, that, that'll go far, and then it would go out in the first round. And so like we, we would again we were talking just before about Holy Diver by Dio, and I mm. love that album. Yeah, Blaise Bailey chose it. Yeah. Absolutely amazing album. It went up against Bow to Hell in the first round, and I thought, well, Bow to Hell will knock that out. It didn't, and it just went kept going and going and going. I think. You know, Holy Diver got, kept going or Bad Out of Hell? Yeah, going? Holy, Holy Diver. Diver. Okay. Yeah, Holy Diver. And I think, I mean, it is. It's such a phenomenal album. So it was nice to see these ones that maybe, you know, I thought maybe wouldn't get a lot of love um, to get that love and to get that appreciation. So I think, and it got people listening to those albums again or checking them out or going back to old episodes so cool. and yeah. just, just chatting about music. I was getting loads of messages from the listeners being like, I genuinely can't vote today. Don't make me do it. <laughs> oh, dude, I know, right? Like, you get to that point where, like, dude, like, these these are all so great. Like, how do you yeah. pick? Um, <clears throat> the, uh, now, so, speaking, you said Night of Opera was number three. I've been doing a little bit of Queen reading. Um, mm. Shamefully, I, I don't know Queen's catalog like I should. I'm I, one of those, you know, I know the greatest hits and, you know, a few out, but I haven't listened to all of Queen like I really should have. And, What's one great thing about your podcast, like you're saying about listeners going back and listening, it makes you start to kind of, you kind of get interested and you, you dive into something. And so I started doing that because I said, well, why don't you pick an album when you come on our podcast since it's the yeah. premise of your show? And let's talk about one of your favorite albums. And picking a favorite album is almost impossible, right? I mean, <laughs> but you pick so Sheer Heart Attack by Queen, right? Yeah. Which is the album before Night of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it came out in 1974. Now, was Night of the Opera 74 as well, or was that 75? So Night of the Opera was 75, but right. it was at that point where, I think they actually did release two albums in 74, so Queen 2 and right. Sheer Heart Attack followed each other very quickly. Um, yeah. I think I think the reason I went with that, because I mean, to be fair, we've talked about some of my favorite albums already, Bow to Hell, right. 
right. rumors, appetite. I think the reason I went for Shea Heart Attack is like Queen are just, when you're talking about those memories of going through your parents' right. albums and stuff, for me, it was the Queen albums. And I remember hearing those albums and getting into Queen and I'm an absolute if, if anyone listens to all 56 episodes of those pod, of those podcasts, they'll hear me drop in Queen wherever I can. Like, yeah. for me, that's, they're almost kind of the beginning of all, I mean, and they're not, maybe not historically the beginning of it all, but for me, in terms of my love of music, they're, yeah. they're the center, and then it all comes out from there. I mean, honestly, Queen is one of those bands, like, you can pick a handful of bands. I mean, uh, clearly the Beatles would be one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I think Queen is kind of right there on the heels of that. Um, and just in, in, in terms of a band that just did everything you possibly could, was always moving forward, trying new things, reinventing the wheel, uh, the, what in, innovate, innovations in the studio, you know what I mean? Uh, great performers, great songwriters. And um, I, I think it was actually my friend Guy over there who lives right down the street from you. <laughs> <laughs> might have said one time we were talking about the ultimate i don't know if it was i don't think it was front man i'm trying to think of the maybe but i think even it, it could have been him i could be wrong with it cited freddie mercury because he's like the <laughs> full deal like performer songwriter over you know just vocalist singer you know i mean you could you could you know he would no matter who you are like you would have he would have to be in the top 10 greatest vocalists and frontmen of all time like yeah. period He's, he's, he's got to be in the conversation simply because, right. like the band, he also evolved. So obviously when we're talking about like Shea Heart Attack and stuff, the reason I, that's my favorite Queen album. And the reason I picked that is that my argument to anyone who's maybe just listened to the, to the greatest hits and want to dive in a little bit more, right. they're genuinely the band that I, I could say they literally, they had to go at everything. They tried everything, you know, yeah. so early on, like Queen 2 in very ways, it's quite progressive metal in some ways when you listen to that album, you know? Um, and that, the opera is very kind of chaotic in terms of jumping genre and stuff. In the 70s, there were this amazing rock band. In the 80s, they become this amazing pop band. And I think right. Sheer Heart Attack is just this point where literally the album seems to flow really nicely, which is bizarre because every single song is completely different. There's like all sorts of, you know, there's more like traditional rock stuff. There's right. like vaudeville at one point. There's, right, right. you know, yeah. more poppy chart friendly stuff. Like they, they can do and try anything on that album. Yeah. And that's to me, like, that's where I kind of uh, align it with the Beatles too, right? Because the Beatles, one of my, I mean, you cited Revolver, which was um, some people would cite as like that turning point for the Beatles, right? And mm-hmm. there's a progression. You hear it happening in Rubber Soul and Revolver and then Sgt. Pepper and they're all amazing albums. How can you pick, right? But I mean, per, a personal, I love all those that I just said, but also Abbey Road. My God, what a oh, fantastic. Yeah. I think Abbey Road, if I hadn't picked Appetite Destruction, like that might have been my next one. Or maybe mm-hmm. Dark, you know, maybe a Pink Floyd album, like basically anything Pink Floyd did in the 70s is, is amazing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, this, this is kind of like that. And what's cool about this album, too, is it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's all over the place, but yet, like you said, there's also a continuity. They start off with a track. Track one is like this long, interesting track. What is it? Brighton Rock? Brighton Rock, called? yeah. And it's, Rock. Uh, I think, I, I know you know all this stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know here. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so you got like um, the first track, which I think is a Brian May tune with this like iconic guitar solo. And and Brian, and Brian May, who's this freaking rocket scientist genius who's designed his own guitars and amps and gear and messed around with the lay pedals to come up with you know he was innovating stuff for these albums for their recordings uh, i think he did for this track right with his good uh, kind of an iconic guitar solo moment yeah, he has here definitely. 
And it's just, yeah, what a, it, it, kind of an interesting track. And then Killer Queen is track two, which is one of their probably top ten most known, you know. And how would, like, I wouldn't say vaudeville, but it's got that quirky, honky-tonk kind of jangly piano. It's got a, yeah. you know, it's kind of got the fun. That's a very pop, kind of a poppy. It's, it's almost, if that's, my, that's my wife's favorite Queen song, friendly enough. And so I think good. Yeah. For me, it's the word to use it. So it's, I always think Queen is the perfect, particularly in those early albums, it's the perfect name for them. And that song has a very kind of regal feel mm. to it. And I think, I always think that Brian's guitar has that very kind of regal feel anyway when he uses it in certain ways. But I think yeah, Killer Queen's almost a culmination of, like I say, those, those early albums are almost, almost metal in some ways. There's certainly kind of metal elements to it. Right. Um, and coming out kind of harder rock side of things. And then this is kind of when the, you know, I think Seven Seas Arrive, the last album, did pretty well in the charts, and this is when they start to think, ah, oh, right, so this is how we can take that sound, but then make mm-hmm. it so people can, you know, so more accessible, I guess, because I think that, I know, I love it, but I know some people struggle a little bit with that first Queen album, um, that they think it's maybe a little too... Progressive? Yeah. I mean, I love it's it. It's funny to think it <laughs> early on, 70, I mean, I guess they're around from 70 or whatever, mm-hmm. but... 73 when that came out right i mean mm-hmm. that's still pretty early i mean sabbath was out when was rush's first album rush was out right oh yeah yeah i'm almost certain rush were out by that point so i mean you had metal metal and progressive things happening but but queen's pretty early on in the game for that stuff like you said with the with the with the more rock and tones the more mm-hmm. sort of metal guitar uh, progressive elements and stuff like that in those first couple of records i think it it just works because it's you know and I think there's, you could say this for a few bands, but Queen is certainly one of them where I think that all four of them are integral to that sound. And that's why from 71 when they formed right up to, to 91 when Freddie passed away. And that's why I think that material is so, so untouchable because I think it's just like they all bring something to it. So obviously it's Brian and Roger for me who really bring that kind of that rock vibe to it the the heaviest and particularly roger taylor who i could come on and talk i could come on and talk about roger taylor for hours like i worship the man (laughs) now on this album so actually that's a good segue speaking because i'm kind of doing your thing right i'm kind of going track by track (laughs) yeah yeah. we talk about roger taylor roger taylor now was it him or john deacon that was their first writing credit on this album because roger taylor wrote tenement funster right yeah so i think misfire that's later on in the album that's john's first credit um but and again something that i love about those early queen albums is you know we've talked about how amazing freddie mercury was as a front man but he wasn't Mm -hmm. afraid to take that step back to be like well here's a roger song here's a brian song so tenement funster just a a quick segue there about a month ago now Roger Taylor did a big solo tour. He's just released a solo album. It's been his first for about five years. And he played Newcastle. Um, and I thought, by, by crook, I'm going. I don't care if I can't find anyone to go with. I'm just going. I'm going. Um, so I love all of his solo stuff. I love the, the Roger tracks on Queen albums. And he, he came on, um, and the second track he did was Tenement Funster. And I actually, I lost my shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, oh, you know, to hear those, those songs, you know, things like I'm in love with my car, Tenement Funster. Um, right. I love Fight from the Inside on News of the World. You know, the, I think in, in another lifetime, I think Roger would have been an amazing frontman for a hugely successful band. It just so happened the band he was in had Freddie Mercury in it. I'm in love with my car. Was that on the next album? It was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize he wrote that one. So, 
Yeah, and you know what I, you know what's funny too is we don't, you know, Freddie Mercury has a, a distinct voice, and you know when you're listening to Freddie Mercury, and it's just amazing and flawless. <clears throat> but what's funny is like when you're casually listening, it's kind of like the Beatles. All those guys can sing. I mean, Ringo kind of stands out. I mean, they all have their unique voice. But if I'm not really listening, I'm not thinking about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that was George Harrison, not John Lennon or whatever. Yeah. And even like listening to this, like there were moments where I'm like, holy cow, that's not. Um, that's not Freddie Mercury. It's like, uh, so who else? Do they all sing? Who sings aside from Freddie Mercury on this album? Uh, so, yeah, so Roger sings Tenement Funster, and then Brian sings actually one of my favorite tracks, which later on, which is She Makes Me, which is uh, in, in brackets Stormtroopers in Stilettos. So that's towards the end of the album, um, which is a very kind of atmospheric track. Um, and that's, but, but Mercury wrote that one, right? I think it was Brian. I'd have to double check. Oh, now. it is Brian May. Sorry. Yeah. Yep, I'm looking at it. Wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So what I love about this too, and I cited Abbey Road, and that's one thing I love about Abbey Road, and maybe The Who had done it, but I don't know when The Who was doing their concept albums. And I know there's like, uh, I guess some concept album stuff started happening in the late 60s and early 70s, obviously Pink Floyd and that kind of stuff. But um, I love the way that the three tracks, Tenement Funster, Flick of the mm-hmm. Wrist, and Lily of the Valley flow together in that sort of side B of Abbey Road way. Yeah. I, I love when that happens. Um you don't hear that enough, you know what I mean? I Especially totally nowadays in the, in the digital world. But I think I'm an old album, I'm sure obviously you are, you know, an old album guy. And I love when you have those moments of songs that kind of flow. And Queen really did that well, which is interesting, though, because like you have the famous uh, We Will Rock You, uh, We Are the Champions, right? Mm-hmm. But they weren't even track listed that way, right? And it, it, weren't they like flipped on the sing- on a single or something? I think on the single, they were, if you buy News of the World, it's We Will Rock You and then We Are the Champions. So and they actually did the it that way on a single. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about the... Th- I honestly, to be fair, with the single, it was a double A. I'm not sure which one got played more. Because uh, to be fair, I mean, they just go hand in hand at this point, don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how you've always heard it. It's funny when you're used to hearing something like that, and then you see it, and you're like, wait a minute, those aren't track listed that way? That's so bizarre, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even like when you see them live, I mean, obviously, I'm so I'm 35, so when Freddie played his last show at Nebworth, I was a month or two months old. So obviously oh, wow. I never got to see Freddie live. Yeah. But obviously I've seen Roger just recently and I've seen them. They toured with Paul Rogers for a few years from Bad Company. Um so I saw saw them a few times. That was really I good. And, that. Yeah. and then obviously Adam Lambert's been touring with them for a while now. And I think I saw them about five years ago. So I've had that chance to to see them perform all of these songs. Um obviously John Deacon's no longer in the band either sadly, but uh, it's still great to kind of to get there and hear all those songs and see them play it. And it, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. I, Adam Lambert. What a gig. I mean, oh, man. <laughs> but, but the dude really does kind of now. Well, didn't he get going on some kind of American idol? I think American idol. Is that I, what yeah. it was? Yeah. Care. He was American idol. And I think funnily enough, I'm sure, I'm sure his audition song was Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so mm. I think right from the start and then to be fair, I think they show it over here, but on some like random channel late at night, obviously we've got our own like British equivalents of those shows, but I'm sure like in the final, he obviously Brian and Roger came on when he performed with them and he also wow. performed with one of my other favorite bands, which is Kiss. So <laughs> like he performed to think that he got to perform with Kiss and Queen in one night. I think that showed kind of what kind of chops he's got as a, as a vocalist really. But that's, I think within the Queen fan base, that's something that's very, very contentious, I, <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> now, that's an interesting... And there's obviously there's nothing wrong with liking different styles of music. Yeah. But what's so interesting, right? And I've noticed this with, like... I would assume 
any of these iconic guitar players that I might mention would also be huge Queen mm-hmm. fans, of course. But almost everyone is just like this massive Kiss fan, which Kiss is like the fun rock and roll band. They're not reinventing the wheel. There's not, Now, I don't know Kiss's catalog, but I'm pretty sure they never did anything even remotely near what, what Queen did from an innovative nah. standpoint. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nah. it's funny. Like, everybody loves Kiss, and I think it's not everybody, but they're this fun rock and roll theater. Now, the one thing they do have in common is the theatrics, right? Totally. The theatrics and the rock show, and I think that's why all these great, whether you're talking about Eddie Van Halen or Dimebag or whoever the case may be, like, that were these big Kiss fans. Sometimes these guys are these virtuoso, amazing guitarists, and you're going like, really? Like, fucking, uh, what's his name? Ace Frehley? Like, what? <laughs> Ace Frehley was like, I'm amazing! And I'm like, bro, you're playing a pentatonic scale. Like, relax. You're not Brian May, okay? Ace, but like, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, because I think... So, obviously, you've got Hendrix, and then there's Eddie Van Halen, and there's all this debate about kind of who was in the middle, who was the bridge at that point. Do you know what I mean? Because I've heard people say it was David Gilmore. You know, for me, if you think about America, if you think about the, these guitarists you're talking about who will cite Ace as an influence, regardless of his chops or anything, right? he's got to be in that conversation. He's obviously inspired right. guitarists who would go on to exceed his skills. You know what I mean? Like Eddie Van Halen. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. But I think you're right. I think it's because Kiss was this, when you're a kid especially, it's this fun, wow, rock and roll, and it's everything that you're not supposed to like it. It's yeah. fire and blood and tongue, mm-hmm. you know, and women. Yeah, the, the guys <laughs> from Anthrax are, are big Kiss fans, too. Everyone's a Kiss yeah. fan, dude. Yeah. And I, I've always kind of been like a little, you know, I, I don't mean to shit on Kiss. I, Vic and I have shit on Kiss, to be fair. But like more <laughs> in a fun kind of like way. But it's funny because like, but I think that's why. Because it's, it's and I think like Marty Freeman, who's one of my guitar, favorite guitarists, was like, mm-hmm. he's this massive Ace Frehley Kiss fan. And he also loves the, you know, uh, the Ramones was one of his big first influences. And he plays a lot of pop music. He plays a lot of Japanese pop. And he's really influenced by 50s pop. And so I think it's like it gets you in the music and excites you as as a kid, particularly probably right, especially as a teenager or something. Yeah. Makes you want to play, and that always sticks with you. You get into all these other guys that are these virtuosos and all that, but that that little some and there's, there's something to be said for simple, like keep it simple, stupid, right? Speaking of which, you being a big Kiss fan, like I remember being a kid with the absurdly ridiculous Tipper Gore, uh, you know, who's... Uh, they should be statues of Tipper Gore this, these days in this country, where they're like, like, cancel everybody for saying something I don't like. Like, yeah. kid Tipper Gore, who is like, well, we, not, uh, everything that I says the bad word must be banned, or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff. But like, so what does kiss mean? Because keep it simple, stupid makes sense. Not, but I remember like Pat Roberts and the 700 Club. I don't know if that means anything to you over there, but like, oh, knights in Satan service. Like, really? These motherfuckers? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> like, I mean, it's ridiculous, right. dude. It, everything in the oh, 80s was fucking satanic. That. You know what I mean? It's so fucking yeah. stupid. So what does it stand for? Do you know? As far as I know, it's literally like the word kiss. Because I thought for a long time that it did stand for for something. And I think I'd heard the Knights and Satan service thing as well, (laughs) which I thought was just hilarious. But especially when you think like, they're one of those ones that are a bit like Ghost. I don't know if you've listened to much, much Ghost. Exactly. Yeah. Like Ghost is the most non-scary. Ghost is great. Like they're good pop pop music. (laughs) Now here's the thing. We want to be satanic. Behemoth. Behemoth is... Like mm-hmm. those guys, I was talking to Tim from Rinscar the other day, and we were talking. They, they, Behemoth did a a, uh, you know, what I'm talking about the black metal band. They're yeah. they're from mm-hmm. somewhere in you know Norway or Finland or something, that, which is appropriate. I mean, like if these guys like you watch their videos and their stage show, and you're like, okay, these dudes actually probably worship Satan. Like it's hardcore. <laughs> like 
They wear that <laughs> brand and they mean it and they do it right. It's it's awesome. You know, whether you're, you know, just from an artistic standpoint, it's like they're owning what they do and that brand. Ghost, on the other hand, is kind of like campy. You know, it's fun. I like it. But it's funny when you see like Slayer fans like Ghost. You're like, what? <laughs> it's, it's like this is the same way. It's like what is what is fucking Hell's Candyland? Like it's not scary. It's not satanic. It's just I fun mean, rock and roll. My my daughter's four years old, and she asks me to play Ghost songs in the car. <laughs> to be fair, I did get no, my, wife was, a bit, <laughs> my, my no, wife was my wife was my favorite. <laughs> Your zero is the best. I can't get enough of that. Uh, of that it's intro. so it's so, so melodic. Because I mean, it's sweet, so isn't melodic. it? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really good. Like they yeah. basically took. Ways of saying the word Satan and made it un like where you even like Christians are like Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's so catchy. But I think that's you know, a good parallel. Like it's very, it's a very yeah. theatrical show. It's more pop based parallel. music. Um, it's about the show, you know, and mm-hmm. then all that stuff is just a gimmick. But I don't, I don't know Kiss's catalog. But the funny thing about them getting this satanic moniker from some jack off in the eighties or whatever, like it's like. What did they ever do that was satanic? Lick it up. Like, no, I don't know any <laughs> Love gun. songs that are satanic. <laughs> Love gun. Like, how are, like, there's guys, like, sitting around racking their brains, like, how do we make this satanic? Like, because Gene Simmons sticks his tongue out. I mean, Gene Simmons looks kind of like a, a yeah. wildebeest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's literally the only, the only parallel I, I can make is potentially Jane B and the Demon. Because again, yeah. if you listen to their music, there's right. nothing. Nothing remotely occult or sat- satanic or anything in there at all. And once we get into the eighties and they unmask and it is stuff like lick it up and oh, crazy crazy oh, nights. Yeah, all this ridiculous stuff. And then the, the disco seven. One oh, thing I, I remember uh, uh, Kiss did a when it was real big in the early nineties. Kiss did. It was kind of my first introduction to Kiss because as a kid I didn't know anything and everything was satanic. And and then I heard Guns and Roses. When I heard Appetite, I remember being like, "Is this like my friend's brother brought it over on cassette?" And I was like, "Is this that heavy metal? Oh my God! Ozzy Osbourne biting heads mm-hmm. off animals, and he's Satan, and everything's Satan." And and then I heard it, so I was like, "Damn, that's badass!" And I remember like hearing about Kiss over the years, never really heard him. And I actually saw their MTV Unplugged, which was which was really good. Yeah, oh, it was actually yeah. really good. Um, I, I think it was just before the original lineup reformed. So like it was. Who I think Bruce Kulick was in there at the time, and right. um, Peter Chris on drums on that one. No, it was Eric Carr. And then, yeah, Peter, Eric Carr, and then okay. and then Peter. No, it's Eric Singer. Eric oh, Carr Eric passed Singer. away. By okay, that that's point. right. That's right. Um, but but then it was then obviously Ace and Peter came on during the performance, and that's, ah, and that's obviously what everyone got super excited that this yeah. that this reunion was happening, and it was gonna it was gonna go. Well, anyway, back to Queen. <laughs> <laughs> I like a good meander. I do. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. We're we're really good at meandering on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so flick of the wrist. I really like that track particularly. Um, mm-hmm. Lily of the Valley is kind of a short, almost like a reprise or something. Now I, I'm here. Is that a Mercury song? It was. I'll tell you what's cool about Lily of the Valley, which is again, this is more if you if you're doing a deep dive that there's. There's loads of Queen songs, particularly on those first three albums, uh-huh. and they're all Freddie compositions. And they're all when he was little, he used to like play with his sister, and they would play in this kind of like a, like in their imagination, this like magical world called Rye. So, which is where Seven Seas of Rye comes from. Right. So, okay. loads of the songs make allusions to this world. So that, that I'd, I'd have to have a look through them and remember which ones there are. But um, Lily of the Valley is definitely one of them. Um, because there's a messenger from Seven Seas has flown to tell the King of Rye he's lost his throne. Um, oh. so the songs all kind of link in together really nicely. So it's really a really short song. Right. I think 
I remember Brian saying something along the lines that he thought it was a song about Freddie coming to terms with his sexuality. Um, I imagine he'd be in a position to know that, that more than us, but I always thought that was a really interesting, really yeah, interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, uh, as far as the band, I mean, because I, I don't know. I mean, none of us were born back then, but mm-hmm. and even in the 80s, I, I didn't really know, you know, wasn't even listening to any of this stuff until the 90s at best. But like, you know, when Freddie Mercury, I caught just the very tale and kind of was knowing what was going on when, when he passed away yeah. and that horrible, you know, AIDS epidemic of the day. Um, but the... I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, do you know if the band, like, in terms of... of once back then, it was much more, you know, keep it under wraps kind of thing. And I don't know if the main queen itself was uh, sort of putting that on the forefront of that have anything to do with it. Or was he always hiding his sexuality? Do you know anything about that? I think it's an interesting one. Because I think if you think about, because again, certainly in those early elements, uh, early albums, there's definitely like a glam element. So you've got like, obviously, you know, Bowie T-Rex that were quite androgynous. The same similar kind of image that mm. that Freddie had at the time. Um, I think it was just a case of, I don't know if it was necessarily like, a secret, but it was never really something that he spoke about. I think he was, as you get towards the seventies and the eighties, he was very like well known in like the gay scene in Munich and New York and stuff. Um, but I don't think it, like publicly, never publicly came out or, you know, it was never, there was never some big interview or anything like that where he spoke about his sexuality. I think it was just something again. I, I think the movie, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, if, if anyone's seen it, I think that I haven't actually yeah. tried, tries to address that in some ways about him kind of coming to terms with his sexuality and stuff. And I'd be interested, was that for dramatic effect or is that from insight from Brian and Roger? We're like, well, look, actually, you know, this is kind of how it happened at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Those movies are tricky because all the, you know, you got to make things entertaining. It's like The Doors. Yeah. The Doors is a great movie, but how accurate is it? We all know, you know, Morrison was a character to put it lightly, but you know, things mm-hmm. are definitely, you know, hammed up for dramatic effect in, in films. So sometimes I feel like you have to take things with a grain of salt if you're, yeah. if you're going there's, that route. There's definitely a part in the film. And you know, it's one of those things where I think to myself, I'm saying this, but I wasn't there. So I guess we'll never know for sure. But I've never read anything. So there's a, there's a big bit in the film where, Freddie goes off to do a solo album, the band split up, like they all hate each other. As far as I know, that never happened. That's just, he did go off and make a solo album, um, mm. but Roger had done it first. He went off and did Fun in Space. So, right. you know, I, I don't think that there was much hostility about that. Again, it's like you say, I think sometimes the movies, like, like if you've seen Elton John's Rocket Man movie, like. I haven't is, seen that either. And I feel like fantastic. there's this weird part of me that, that doesn't want to, I mean, I should watch the movies. But I, I almost feel like, because I know, like, it's not all accurate, because it's mm. for dramatic effect, you know? <laughs> Rocketman gets... I should gets, watch him. Yeah, Rocketman gets around that in a really nice way, because he, I think when he was promoting it, Elton said it was more like kind of almost his interpretation, what happened to his imagination, so there's really weird bits where, like, he's playing the piano and he's, like, floating in the air, and so it's it's played a little bit as if it's almost like his recollection of it rather than what actually happened. So you can kind of forgive when it won, when it meanders off a little bit. Whereas the Queen one's more of like a straightforward, this is what happened, but maybe these bits didn't happen. Right. The Elton John one's basically saying, hey, we're romanticizing this from a, yeah. from a first person perspective. Exactly. Um, so you don't get bored, right? <laughs> it's great. Have you film, seen, have you great seen film, either man. one of those? Vic? No, no, I haven't seen either one of those. I get, I mean, I, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I guess because I heard that song so much after uh, Wayne's World, it's like ah, I don't. I'm not ready to see it yet. 
Because <laughs> that's what, that's yeah, what that came to mind. That song's not old, though, dude. That song, every time you hear it, it's like, God, it's just, just freaking amazing. Oh, yeah. And what's yeah. so much more amazing about, that's why, like, nowadays, I don't, I, you know, look, like, I, I don't have anything against, there's all kinds of great pop music. There's so many, there's so much good music out there in all kinds of genres. And I know things change and evolve, and I'm not, um, sometimes, like, it takes hearing something from, more of a personal perspective or someone you know or like doing a little uh, deep, a deep diver background then you start to get gain appreciation because on the surface it's very much it's very easy to be like oh this mumble rap piece of shit and this mm. and i have a harder time with some genres than others but to be fair there is good stuff in every genre right and, and new things come and exist i'm like once upon a time people heard heavy metal and were like oh the devil this is the worst and now it's like commonplace rock and roll right now it's classic rock so you know, I think it's important to like keep that perspective. But, but one thing that cannot be denied is like back in the days of, you know, these albums, it's like, and all these bands, whether it be the Beatles or Floyd or Zeppelin or Queen or whatever, like there were no cheating, cut and paste, digital this and that, mm-hmm. auto tune this and that. I mean, these guys went in and they played it for real and they were, they had to be unbelievably innovative with the, you know, the analog world and how to, I mean, I was reading something about 70 vocal tracks on this or 100 vocal tracks, and they're dealing with the state-of-the-art at the time, Studer, you know, 24-track machine that they had just gotten. And you've got to, you know, bounce this back this way and that way, and then all these innovative things. And I was reading about Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Or no, it was, uh, yeah, it might have been for the intro of money. They had tape wrapped all around the room doing all this. I don't even remember what, I mean, crazy and nowadays, it's so easy. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, let me go grab this sample and I'll chop and put this here. I remember reading that years ago when I started playing about the future of music is, you know, moving things around. I'm like, that's ridiculous, you know, like with this linear perspective. And it's the truth. That's how it is nowadays. And I think the downside to that is any, is any jack off can just be like, I'm a musician and, you know, cut and paste crap and throw something up. And it's like, no, nah, bro, you're not. <laughs> you know? But it's also nice because you do have an affordable way to express yourself artistically. So that's that's the upside that everybody you know does have an option, whereas you don't have to go into a gajillion dollar studio under a major label budget, etc. Yeah. I mean, that's I always think about about his Death, Death Leopard's Hysteria album, where literally Mutt had them recording it note by note and then just sort of <laughs> pasting it all together. And I love that album. It's amazing. But then you put it side by side with Appetite that came out that same year. It's very different style. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Appetite's kind of like, I love the way Guns N' Roses kept that. They just had such a nice blend of like, I mean, glam is a push, but we can say that, right? Mm-hmm. And But then the gutter punk and the rock and roll, the classic rock, I mean... And they did the way the appetite was treated and recorded is exactly how it should have been, right? If that was polished in the way that Def Leppard was, it would have just not worked. Yeah. It had to be that way, right? A rough around the, you know, edges rock and roll band. But Def Leppard, you know, took that and I I guess, you know, and maybe the band, whoever made those conscious decisions to polish that in a different way. It was very innovative of the time and you got to give it credit. It's very unique sounding. Um, speaking of Def Leppard, I was going to bring this up too. Like you've had some. You actually had some famous guests on your show. You had someone from Def Leppard on your show, right? I did. Funnily enough, I was thinking because he, um, so it's Phil Collin, the guitarist, okay. uh, one wow. of the guitarists oh, of Def yeah. Leppard. Awesome. Um, that was pure luck, basically. That, as, as I'm sure you probably know, um, well, you know, you, you email someone's PR manager and you end up on a mailing list, and then all these emails are coming every other day promoting stuff. And sometimes, you know, just think, oh, we'll send an email and see what happens. Not expecting to hear anything. And Def Leppard were releasing like a vinyl box set of like their albums. I think it was from 
was it from Euphoria up to Songs from the Sparkle Lounge or something like that? Oh. Um, so I just emailed, just being like, look, I do this podcast, you know, um, would any of the guys like to come on? And they replied and they're like, oh, yep, yeah, Phil would like to do it. Um, he wow. chose Aladdin Sane by David Bowie. And the we- the weird coincidence was that the research for these episodes can take, obviously, depending on the album, it can take a long time. Mm-hmm. And about a year earlier, a guy had picked Aladdin Sane, had done all the research, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Like, there was nothing... You know, just one of those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always had this saved on my computer and every now and again I'd pop on the social media pages like, oh, if anyone wants to, you know, if anyone really likes Aladdin Sane, perhaps they could come on the podcast. And a couple of people had been quite no interested. Reason. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, but then he picked it. So I was like, well, this is perfect because amazing. I don't need to do the research. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming on. And he was, he was such a nice guy. Like he came on and they'd said, because originally they'd said he's got half an hour. And I was like, any chance of an hour? Because anyone who listens knows it's quite a long podcast sure. as we go through, yeah. the, through through the whole album. And they were like, yep, Phil says he can do an hour. I was like, right, great. That's okay. That's and, and he came on and I said to him, I know you've only got an hour. I'll be as quick as I can. And he was like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, I've got time. And we ended up like, t- the reason I was thinking about it as we were talking is because he was t- t- telling me a couple of cool things, a couple of cool stories from the hysteria sessions and like, getting drunk with with Tommy Lee in Paris and not being able to get back to record solos and all of this kind of stuff and like proper rock star stories That's you know amazing. Um, but he was just I think what I love about it is even someone like him who's you know a diamond selling recording artist you know when you'd start talking about someone's favorite album you you, you break through all of that do you know what I mean yeah. so I was talking to Phil Collin, the music fan, not Phil Collin, the guitarist and Def Leppard. Right. That's how I felt anyway. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. I, I love that too. And like, just from, you know, the, the spectrum of people Vic and I have interviewed, like, uh, you know, most of them are musicians, you know, some mm-hmm. of them are, are, are artists in different capacities. And, you know, we've, we've had a, a, just different, a few different people, but most are musicians, but that's it. We all share that bond. And when you start talking about someone's favorite band or even more precisely someone's favorite album, I mean, yeah. that, that person comes out and it's just, there's that excitement, man, you know? I think one, one of my favorite episodes, and it's it's an album that, it was one of the more obscure albums that we've done as well. It's actually one of my favorite albums now after after listening to it. Jen Majura from Evanescence came on and she chose Steve Vai, Sex and Religion. No and way. She wow. was like, it's a bit of a weird one, but have a listen, it she is. said. And I listened to it and I just, for whatever, like, I just loved it straight away. Absolutely loved it. And she, again, she was just so, I think, I think she was back in Germany at the time because it was during the lockdown. So she wasn't back in America with the band. So she had all the time that, she, that, that we needed. And we just talked about this album, but she, she knows Devin Townsend who sings on the album. So at one point she was instant messaging him pictures of quackers while we were, were chatting. She was mm-hmm. talking about interactions she'd had with Steve Vai, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's such a fun episode to listen to. And that, like I do, I love that album now. I absolutely love it. That album's interesting, man. I remember when I was getting into all the Guitar Hero stuff, still guys that are some of my favorites, Satriani and Vi and those kind of guys. Like Vi's, uh, you know, iconic, um, um, now I'm thinking Sex and Religion, Passion and Warfare, mm-hmm. right? And stuff like that. And I had gotten like Fire Garden and Ultra Zone was out around. And I, and I, you know, and they all have a similar thing. And there's always these quirky, quirky things that Vi has going on, of course, right? Um, but then when I put that one on, I was like, what in the hell is going on? There's a vocalist and it was so different. And I mean, Devin Townsend is this insanely prolific guy who's oh, yeah. just, I mean, that guy, and he's also like a super nice guy, like, uh, from everyone I've, every account I've had. And I, I met him really briefly in like a NAM signing, but 
I need to go back and revisit that album because I gave it a. Li- I, I don't. I don't even think I listened to it. To be honest, I was just kind of like, ah, this isn't what I wanted from Steve I, you know. And I, I don't think I ever gave it a fair shot. I think at the time it was meant to be. So he was trying to form a super group. Um, of which, I mean, Devin was new in the music business at the time. So, although now I think in terms of like, you know, going through Steve Vai's discography, it counts as Steve Vai album. I think at the time it was an attempt to launch a band. Um, which again, I mean, the story, that's fascinating how that didn't work out, but it's, um. Well, who else was a part of that? Do you know? <sighs> what were they? I'm trying to think. So it was Terry Buzzio who played with Frank Zappa. He was oh, on the board. Okay. Yeah. It was, was it TM Stevens was on bass. So it was, and, and, Jen had either met or knew these people very well. So then you had this other kind of aspect of it that, you know, she loves this album, but then she's been able to meet the people who recorded this album and in some instances become really good friends with them as well. Right. Um, you know, so for her, it was a really, really special album for her, but I think I just put it on and I'd never heard the album before. Um, and just thought how, cause it's, it, it's a, it's, it's a crazy album. It's crazy. <laughs> in every yeah, sense I feel of the like- I wish I wish it was something else, even if it was a one-off, right? <laughs> that that wasn't Steve Vai because mm-hmm. it's so. When you, you when you go in thinking Steve Vai and that pops up, you're like, "What is happening?" You know what yeah. I mean? That's that's what's so odd about yeah. it. But but like you said, if you can get beyond that initial jolt mm-hmm. and then just give the album a fair shot, which I really need to do. Yeah, I think it's a really rewarding album, and I think I think that was one of the episodes. I think a lot of people really liked that one. And then you just had the Dodies on not long ago, didn't you? Is that right? Yeah, dude. You were, yeah. So Bumblefoot re- yep. referred me, and and I've talked to Ron a few times over the years. Super nice guy, and you had him on your show, and he did uh, a Rush album, right? He did, yes. Uh, going for the one, oh, yes. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and that. Yeah, I mean, again, I've lived on Bumblefoot for years, but that was through Jen. So basically, she'd said, oh, "I've okay. really enjoyed myself." had an amazing time. Who would you like on your show? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, take your pick. I know these people and sent me a list. So That's amazing. Few, so quite, so wow. quite a few of the people. So, um, Travis Larson picked a Rush album. Um, he's really good friends with Jen. Um, yeah, we had Travis Larson yeah. on. Yeah, they're yeah. huge. Him and Jennifer, they're huge Rush fans. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Super cool guy. Love that's, Travis. I think that's our longest episode. I think so, once, we, once me and him were talking about Rush, that was it. We had a really long episode. Our episode with him was so long. I think Jen was like, I got to go to the bathroom. When is this thing going to end? Like, it just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And then obviously, yeah, and then Ron shows um, Going for the One, which again is just a brilliant album. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that's it. Even sometimes I've not heard the album or I've not heard it for a long time. So then to be able to, because I guess, I guess you do listen to it with other ears. So there's been the odd album someone's picked up. I thought, oh, really? Because I'm not, you know, you're not going to like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you listen to it with a, it's like you said, there's good in everything. So you kind of listen and you get that appreciation. So for example, I'm not a massive Radiohead fan. That's one of the early episodes we did. We did OK Computer. I've got an appreciation. Yeah. I've got an appreciation for it. It's not one that I'd put on, like, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, I think if you'd asked me that before the podcast started, I might have been a bit more dismissive, which is wrong, you know, because again, it's about, and that's what I love. It's uh, helped me discover amazing music as well, or be able to look at music in another way. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been absolute, absolute thrill the last five years. It is cool. And we, not to your extent at all, but, but one thing, it's, after many podcasts that we've had, one thing that's so cool is, is Vic and I'll be like, maybe, you know, the next day or something, we're like, oh man, dude, this is, we're like listening to music that mm-hmm. we otherwise might not have listened to. Or maybe you've listened to one album or maybe you listen, you've heard it, they hit or a song. And then you have someone you talk to and you go back and you listen to some stuff or maybe you talk about some different music and you listen to that. And, and, uh, this is a good example of that. I mean, 
I went and actually was like, okay, let me really listen to this album and not just sort of casually put it on, mm-hmm. but let me like listen and, you know, and really kind of think about it and dissect it and read a little bit and like not doing nearly the extensive kind of research that you did. But I, it definitely gives you a different perspective and appreciation than if you're just sort of like, you put something on in the background and you're like, oh, I recognize that song. And yeah, that's pretty cool. Whatever, you know, especially yeah. the older you get. I think it's a different generation nowadays too, in terms of it's, you know, the digital singles kind of world again and it's not the album but i think that now there's this big resurgence of vinyl and there isn't a huge appreciation for that and a big demographic of people that, that still listen to records that way both young and old yeah. but yeah that idea of like putting on an album and putting everything else out and just listening to the album and experiencing the album is mm-hmm. that's extremely different than, than the casual listening of music you know and there's, and there's definitely a place for both. So for me, like I stream music in my car, I might stream music while I'm tied in the house or whatever. But at the same time, getting a good pair of headphones, putting that record on side A, sitting back, you know, for, for me, there's nothing better. So there's, there's definitely elements of both. Cause I know some people that are just like, oh, well, you know, you should never stream music. You should always listen to vinyl. It's like, well, yeah, but you're going to have a, re- you're gonna have a record right. player in your car, right? <laughs> These are the same people that are like, I refuse to have an iPhone or whatever. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, like, Okay, dad, who now can't get off of his phone. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's, you know, you have to evolve with the times. Exactly. And I don't, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's awesome that we can just be like, oh, what was that? You were, and boom, Google, done, mm-hmm. you know, and like Spotify or whatever. So that's really cool. But I also think like it's also really cool. And I, I love and appreciate um, that. Yeah. There are people that are, that will do that and have that listening experience. And really, yeah. one, one, one thing that I did one time years ago was uh, with one of my friends and, uh, out in California, Los Angeles, she was uh, renting from this guy who was an older gentleman who had lost his, his wife, and he was a Disney animator way back in the day, in like the 50s and 60s, right? Super cool dude, you know, and we're like hanging out at this place, smoke a joint or something, and like put on Abbey Road on vinyl, and it was just like freaking cool, man, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I was just like, this is, this is just a different experience. I've listened to Abbey Road a lot of times, but never quite like that you know yeah. and so it's it's a neat thing to do um back to queen <laughs> where were we we were on i think, it was, we, I <laughs> now think I'm here. yeah now i'm here tell us about that track <laughs> yeah so now now i'm here again it's another another freddy one i think what's interesting about that is so that was a single here in the uk but i think it maybe gets forgotten about which is amongst things like killer queen and bohemian rhapsody and stuff i think that's from what i've heard it's essentially about life on the road and i think mm. What I love about that one, so again, so Queen's greatest hits, so that's coming kind of the first half of their career. That's the best selling album of all time here in the UK, like number one. Um, and it's on the album, it's uh, track 11, but I think it's one, I think if you did like a, like a straw poll of people, I think it's, considering it was a single, I think it's one that, one that people sometimes forget about. And it's, it's, it's awesome because it's really hard rock and it's, it's one, again, it I can is. see why it was released as a single. I can see, yeah. you know, it definitely fits in with that and there's references to Mot the Hoople and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's a really cool, really cool song. And that was who they opened for on the Queen 2 tour, right? Now. <laughs> yeah. And that was in the UK, but they, was that the first time they went to the US then? Was that what, 73? With- yeah, so so obviously I think in the UK they, they they toured with with Mott, and then they the tour went to America. That's obviously so that'll have been sort of back end of seventy three, maybe even more seventy four to be honest. But I think that's where obviously while recording this album that we're talking about, Brian May got sick. 
Yeah, so he got um, hepatitis. Hepatitis. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was interesting. Like he was actually in the hospital for, mm-hmm. I guess, a good portion of while they were writing and recording the er- the early parts of this album. It was done in several different studios. I think over four different studios. Um, and now, so I don't know how much that affected that, but there is some some of it that he's not on. Like uh, who? So uh, Deacon plays guitar on what was the one we were just talking about? Track three, right? Ten- Tenement Funster, right? That's not even Brian May on the acoustic guitar, I don't think, on that song. I don't think on the acoustic. No, there's there's definitely a solo in there. That mm-hmm. It might even have been Roger. I know Roger likes to play a lot of, because he's, even on his solo albums, Roger plays everything. So he's a very mm-hmm. kind of multi-instrumentalist. So it, it could have been either of them, to be honest. That's I know fine about these guys, right? They they can all yeah. just play everything, basically. And I think what's crazy is, like, if you think about Brian May and the, you know, like we said, this guy made his guitar out of his fireplace when he was a kid. He's one of the greatest guitarists of all time. He's now he's got a PhD in <laughs> literally rocket science. Yeah. He was actually scared they were going to kick him out of the band. He was wow. like, while he was ill, he was thinking, shit, like, is this the end of it for me? But obviously they had no intention of doing that. And I do think, you know, obviously like there's parts of this album that are very hits, like Brian Rock and, and She Makes Me and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think maybe that stepping away, I do think maybe you do hear a bit more of Roger and John on this album than you would have done. Um, tracks like Tenement Funster and Misfire and, and mm-hmm. things like this. Not to say they wouldn't be on there, but, uh, I think you do kind of hear a bit more, a bit more of them maybe on this album than, than others. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely an expansiveness, like you said, that happens and they've still got the hard rock. They've still got some slam and heavy riffs. Obviously, like the most famous being Stone Cold Crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, man, the variety is just amazing on this thing. I mean, St- Stone Cold Crazy, which is really interesting. Obviously, Metallica covered that. Um, yeah. and I've, I've actually seen yep. Metallica perform that at Nebworth, which was, was amazing. Um, and I think what's interesting. So we actually did Shea Heart Attack on the podcast way back. And it was a guy oh. called Greg, called Greg Hart, who is a guitarist in a band called Cats in Space. So if you're into that kind of like seventies rock sound, oh, Cats nice. in Space are awesome. Okay. I'd I like thoroughly recommend them. <laughs> and he said, cause there's always this huge argument that if you, if you're talking thrash metal, that the start of that, is Stone Cold Crazy, that that's the first kind of evidence of any kind of thrash sound. And he was very dismissive of that. He was like, no, nope, no way. Like, I wouldn't even associate Queen with thrash. No, 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 no. But for me, it because I do like thrash metal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for me, when you listen to the albums and stuff, for me, it almost does feel like kind of almost like the prototype for what would become become thrash. And I'm not saying that all of those bands listened to Stone Cold Crazy and thought, oh, we'll replicate this, but... There's certainly something in there that I think it's pretty reason, heavy, yeah. and the tones yeah. are pretty heavy. I don't know if it's a tempo thing that mm. would that would be labeled thrash metal as opposed to like Sabbath, which was more I don't know doom metal is not the right term at all, but heavy metal, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what would distinguish what or what. I mean, I think thrash. We all think like the uh, the '80s big four, right? The, yeah, uh, which came from the influence from the sort of the British invasion, right? I mean, so you probably had that stuff coming from the late 70s, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like- I I saw that, and I think it was some writer that wrote that, wasn't it? Didn't mm. someone stamp that term? I yeah. I saw that, maybe. I think it's, 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 it's just an interesting one, because I can see where people are, are coming from. But like you say, obviously, you know, <laughs> certainly for Lars and Metallica, it was more about Diamond Head and Motorhead and, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, all that kind of new wave of British heavy metal stuff. Um but again, I would argue, maybe not too obvious, but if you probably not more ahead, but for some of the others, if you dig in a bit deeper, you know, I do think there's some Queen influence in there in most bands. So, you know, if you, if you look for it, I do think it is there. And mm. also, I would think like, yeah, when did Priest start? When did Maiden start? 
So Maiden was kind of like late seventies. I think the first album maybe came out in nineteen eighty. Yeah, you're right. They are yeah. late. They are later. Yeah. Uh, Priest was Priest. Priest's been around a long time though, right? What was? But Priest's early stuff was not that heavy. No, I think that was more of an evolution. Yeah, I think right. they'd been around a bit longer, and then I think that they kind of got sort of roped into that that new wave of British heavy metal kind of thing. I think it was um, to be fair that there are bands that I'd love to cover at some point because they're as much as I like them, there are bands that I haven't listened to loads or really dug into. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to think in the future we'd do some Judas Priest. Um, Man, I'm going to put you in touch with my buddy guy. He might throw a Priest album your way. Oh, nice. He'll do nice. something metal. <laughs> that in a bad movie. Oh, yeah. God, don't get him talking about movies, though. It'll be all shit. <laughs> he's the king of bad movies. He, he's introduced us to the, the... He's introduced me personally to the worst films of all time. But his musical taste is much better. I love a good bad movie, though. Oh, man, you guys are going to have a great time. <laughs> like, if you're I know start, it's going to be bad. You're going to start off talking about a Jason Becker album. It's just going to derail to some <laughs> to Samurai Cop 2 bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's... And I think it's the same with music as well. Like, if something is, like, bad, but it's interesting... I can yeah. deal with that. If it's if it's something that's just boring, that's kind of unforgivable. So I think that with films, I think that with music. If something's boring, I switch off. Something can be bad, and I can still listen to it. Not to say that I don't think it's great, but I'll, it'll still hold my attention because I'll be like, "What on earth is this?" What's, well, that's the thing. It's like I, I love uh, a good bad movie. I mean, a good, yeah. like there's so many great bad Steven Seagal movies and uh, you know disaster movies. And, I mean, but like, but then some movies are just like this is just. I'm inducing nausea. You know, just horrible. Like, what are some of your favorite movies? Both, what would you consider like great movies that you like that are actually good, like genuinely movies good that, movies, and genuinely good movies, but then also movies that are like utter shit that you enjoy. Also, <laughs> so I, so I always said that my favorite movie was Reservoir Dogs because I love Tarantino. Oh, so that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Dogs. But then I also like I love comedy, so I love things like Airplane, Anger Man. You know, yeah, any yeah. like daft comedy you know what oh, i mean yeah. Oh, yeah. um more recently so i do enjoy the marvel movies and i genuinely love the first guardians of the galaxy film regardless of if it was part of a franchise or not like, i just think it's a great movie as it is mm-hmm. i think in terms of like cheesy ones i'm trying to think i like a good cheesy christmas film i think you know you can forgive it a bit more at christmas so if you've got a really cheesy christmas film where like everyone's christmas dreams come true and stuff that's that's some great watching <laughs> Um, going back to Kiss, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. Uh, has anyone seen this one? <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, this was their attempt when they're at their height. Yeah. They did like a TV movie. It's essentially like a live action Scooby Doo, for lack of a better word. Oh, right, right. Yeah, no, that, um, that's exactly it. <laughs> and for years I wanted to see it because I'd heard how bad it was. And then they released a box set and it was on the box set. And I was like, right. <laughs> settle down and watch this oh but it's like I think Gene just roars through the movie like I don't think he ever speaks I think he just <laughs> roars like he's some kind of lion Um, like Paul Stanley's got like he has like lasers shoot out of his eyes like oh it's amazing I, th- I would recommend it to anyone because it's just good. the first 20 minutes before they come in are really dull so like the first 20 minutes is like the setting of backstory and it's Doors Dishwater but then once Kiss come in that's it like it's it's, it's amazing after that What's this one called again? Uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. (laughs) (laughs) They they, they also, which was interesting because I think this is what their intention was. So I got, as a joke present a few years ago, this is how my daughter got into Kiss. I got a DVD and it genuinely was an animated Scooby-Doo meets Kiss. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd 
So, haha, very funny. Put it to one side. And one day she came over and she was like, oh, what's this? And we put it on. And obviously all their songs are on. Mm-hmm. It's actually like for a kid's film, it's pretty good. And she's now obsessed with Kiss. Like I interviewed Damon Johnson, who's performed with like Brother Kane and Alice Cooper and, and, and this. And I was running late and I was sending a message to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to get my daughter to bed because she was going through a phase where she wouldn't go to sleep unless I sang Beth by Kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> luckily he was very understanding, but, uh, but yeah, she's like obsessed with Kiss. Like she really is, which is, which is great. I, you got, man, you got to give it to those guys. No one's ever been a better at marketing. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure they were like, okay, we'll get the kids with this, right? Even the satanic stuff probably served yeah. well because everybody heard about it it was this big thing and i mean there's no piece of merchandise that kiss has not put their brand on that you can no. think but it doesn't matter if it's a cell phone cover a coffin you know <laughs> what that's right nothing. yeah launch boxes yeah everything everything yeah. man <laughs> what's your favorite kiss album by the way do you have one good question creatures of the night <clears throat> what year is that is that it's, I think, I want to say 80, 81. It's like, so basically that's, Ace has left, although he's still on the cover. <laughs> and Peter Chris has left, and it's, that's when Eric Carr comes in. But it's okay. just, it's a much, I think they've been through like, you know, they've tried the disco stuff, they released The Elder, which is like a soundtrack to a film that never was, and like, they've gone in all these crazy directions, and then it's just them saying, right, it's, it's probably their heaviest album. You know, it's got, if you've heard I Love It Loud and War Machine and stuff, that's, uh-huh. that's what, that's what, that's the album that they're from. Um, and it's just a great album. And it's the last one before they thought, right, we need to, we need to take the makeup off now and try something new. So yeah, I would say Creatures of the Night. Mm. What about you, Vic? What's your favorite this album? Oh, man. All of them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I celebrate the entire catalog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are some of your other favorite bands, um, Mike? So, I, th- I, was, I mean, as anyone who can listen to the podcast will tell, like a lot of it's more around kind of the, the hard rock sort of metal persuasion. You know, so I like, love like ACDC, Iron Maiden, Motorhead. In terms of more kind of recent bands, I don't know. And this is so strange because they're massive over here, but they're American. And I don't know. I've yet to speak to an American and know who they are. Have you heard of a band called Blackstone Cherry? Yeah, dude. Mm, I just yeah. listened to them. Uh, the other day, and it's really good, man. It's really like, good. I like they for me. They're probably the best band on the planet right now. I think they're absolutely phenomenal, and they've been coming up like in the UK. Like they the just headline arenas. Here, honestly, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They, they, not, they I was had, not able to see, but I think they just came through here. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, I think they. Yeah, they like like they. I mean, when I first saw them, they were supporting Def Leppard and White Snake. Um, so I'd gone to that show and came away thinking, "Who are these guys? They're amazing. They're just a four piece from Kentucky." Um. Uh-huh. So there's there's a heavy sound, but a very kind of southern lint to it. Right. Um, I think they're on their seventh album now. They're and they're just they're absolutely phenomenal. Like I'm I'm definitely trying to get one of those guys on the show at some point because I've spoke to a couple of people who kind of know them or like have toured with them and stuff. So I'm hoping to get one of them back on the podcast in the near future. But it's if you know that like the Kentucky the Kentucky Headhunters. So I think is it. So John Fred Young is the drummer of Blackstone Cherry. I think it's his right. uncle is the drummer of the Headhunters. Oh, okay. Um, so there's this, this kind of real family link to it, but they're just, they're phenomenal. Um, obviously I really like Ghost. We were talking about, about Ghost earlier. Um, I also quite like, obviously it's, you gotta be careful in terms of kind of drifting down this particular part too much, but I do quite like sort of acoustic singer songwritery stuff, but when it gets too schmaltzy and chart friendly, <laughs> that's kind of when I tune out. But there's a really cool Scottish singer songwriter called Amy McDonald, who I really like as well. Um, yeah. and she too is quite a lot. Um, 
But I think for me, I, I think that's it. I think, and I'm not just saying it to be fair, like, one of the other reasons I love so much people coming on the show is because then I discover not just new music from the albums they've picked, but from like the bands and singers I'm talking to. So, you know, like we recently had um, Emily Johansson, who is the drummer in a Swedish band called Thunder Mother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely awesome. Thoroughly recommend checking them out. So I think that's a nice mix because you do get, you get the Phil Collins and the Blaze Baileys and stuff, but then these other guys who are kind of new and trying to, trying to, stamp their own claim and, and like the music because I, I, I'm not just saying this I would never put if, if if I was thinking about emailing someone if I listened to the music and I thought yeah it's a bit shit I'm not going to email them quite frankly <laughs> like and that right. might be that might be you know but I'm just not because for me especially because now we play the music on the show as well I want to be oh, like okay. Okay. listen because I don't think we did that when you were on but we've started doing that so. now yeah. cool. but like so I can be like so, you know I've been talking to so and so about this album have a listen to their track. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I think that people want, you know, I think people, I'd like to think that there's kind of a quality of that, that the music I'm recommending, that people are like, yeah, this is really good. And there's usually like, usually, so if someone's picked an Iron Maiden album, you can hear that influence, I think, in the music. Or if someone's picked a U2 album, sure, you can yeah. hear that influence in their music. So then it's, it's not as if I'm going to be doing like a, Johnny Mitchell album and then playing like a thrash metal song. <laughs> you know and I mean? here's, Behemoth's favorite album from Joni Mitchell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's fun too because you find out just talking with different people about different bands. We had, um, so we're technically season two. You would be our mm-hmm. fourth guest on season two. Cool. Um, but, uh, the, our first one was, uh, Rob Hammersmith from Skid, drummer for Skid Row, right? Oh, nice. And one of the, speaking of daughters, he brought up a band oh, yeah. called, God, help me out here. Sabaton. I'm, I'm drawing, Sabaton. Yeah. Okay. And I forget. You know Sabaton, right? Yeah. And he, his daughter's like super into Sabaton, and he started listening to him. And it's like, and I told my parents about it because my dad like a retired like history professor, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool!" And <laughs> now my dad are like, "You should make lyric videos." And you know, oh, it, it's just, and it's interesting, and it's a different thing. And I, I mean, they're this huge band, like in, I don't know where they're from, Germany or something, but um, yeah, it's just cool. Like I would have never, I mean, maybe I would have come across them at some point, but now I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, cool, this is a new thing that I'm checking out. So it's interesting just to. I, I'm sure you get this all the time, right? It's just like someone will bring something up. Oh, I wonder what that is. Like, how did you find out about Blackstone Cherry? How did how did that? If it's not big in the UK, right? Or is it? So, so, so yeah. So I think that was, our, I think that's your first exposure to them. So I always say it was when I'd seen Def Leppard and White Snake, which was when I'd seen them live. I'm sure like their track was on a video game I was playing. I think mm. it was like like a okay. WWE video game or something, <laughs> and right. the song was playing in the menu. And I remember thinking that's a cool song, and then just kind of cracking on with things and then that night that i went to, well the night i went to see def leppard they opened the show but the i think for me it's just crazy because i mean to be fair they, they they have a very loyal fan base like blackstone cherry fans similar to queen fans really are very hmm. very loyal but like if, if if i flew to america and went to see blackstone cherry i would probably be able to get right to the front there might be like a few hundred people in the UK, they're playing to like arenas of like 10, 12,000. Uh, sounds so. like par for the course here in the US, man. Yeah. Because now, again, I, I, I really need to. <laughs> we, we had somebody Google that was talking about that. Get... Yeah. Uh, hang on a sec. So I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive, but I just want to make sure I'm thinking of the right band. And I don't know where to look, but I, I should just say it and then be wrong if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think like, I want to say they just toured through, dude, and played like Antones, man, here in Austin. And Sam's Burger Joint in San Antonio. We're talking, what, 500 people venues capacity? 
They're not big places. I mean, they're cool places. They're renowned yeah. venues. I'd mean, be uh, the gigs are better in those places anyway. Like, I would sooner, like, the best Blackstone Cherry gigs I saw were where they played an intimate place mm-hmm. that only fits 400 people. You know, they're still amazing in an arena. Or but that's amazing, though, festival, that they've got this, that they've got a huge fan base over there. I mean, massive. I feel like, you know, at once upon a time, like, everyone wanted to come to America, right? As someone as, like, a American rock dude, rock band guy, I'm like, oh, we're all like, dude, get, how the hell do we get over to Europe when people actually give a shit? You know, it's, it's weird, like, because it is. I feel like yeah. here, unless you're already at that high level, like, you know, it's sort of like, well, you're, it's, I think it's very, it just, rock doesn't seem like a very mainstream thing over here these days, you know? I don't, I don't really know if it is here. I just think it's, for some reason, like, live music is certainly alive and well. And, like, uh-huh. the album charts are more reflective. Do you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. talking about, talk about Roger Taylor, which we were. His album got to number three in the album charts. Like, wow. the singles just dropped without a trace. Do you know what I mean? Like, the singles yeah. charts. I don't even listen to the singles chart anymore because it's not a good barometer for, like, what people are listening to, I don't think. I think it's more the album chart, you know? And I think, mm-hmm. and I think that's it. And I think what blows my mind a little bit talking to some of the guests that, that I've had on more recently is that I'll be listening to their music and thinking, this is amazing. Like, you know, is this coming out in the UK? What's going on? Da da da. And then they'll say to me something like, all right, well, I've got to go now because I've got another job because I'm cutting grass or I work in a shop or, right. and I think to myself, how, and to be fair, I spent 15 years in retail, so I'm not bashing any kind of stuff like that. But I think to myself, when you've got such a level of talent, how unfair is it that you're not able to, you know, make more money from that and not have to do that? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of bands like that for sure, man. And, um, uh... Almost everyone I know that's a musician is like um, teaching, you know, mm-hmm. and working and or a hired gun or you're a session guy or a lot of people get in production and, and all those different facets. Um, and then, of course, have day, you know, various day jobs because, yeah, I think and even guys that I think are at a little higher tier. I mean, so much money goes into the machine, right? Yeah. It's like if you are whatever you're making back is usually... You're, you're probably not making a lot of money unless you're pretty high up on the food chain, you know? But I, but I guess to be fair, like, and you'll know this better than me, I guess that's not what it's about, though. At the end of the day, it's doing it because you love it rather than... Well, it else. better be. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you crazy? I don't know. But now, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like, it's... I, I've experienced this and it's... Sometimes I think we all... And it's funny, like, how many friends I have and we all... You know, a lot of us, you know, you go through those same... Mm-hmm moments and struggles and then you're kind of questioning why do i do this to myself and why am i doing but yeah but then the feeling of when you get on stage and you perform and people appreciate it or sometimes honestly man like one comment or one person Mm -hmm. sometimes like makes all the difference in the world to me like i don't think people really understand i think this goes for all of us in a a human connection is like how valuable we all are to each other you might not even realize your value and one little thing you said passively one day meant the world to someone else you know So, like, that, I feel that happens quite a bit, and it validates and makes you feel, you know, when you feel like you're, you're kind of failing from a, from a numbers standpoint or from a monetary standpoint, you're like, wow, well, this person just said that, the, the, you know, this album was the soundtrack of their life or that yeah. just changed their life, and you're like, man, that's really cool. I'm glad I suffered through that and, and put yeah. that out there, you know, because it meant something to somebody. And I think, like, so I think, to your point, I do think, like, for an, from an artistic standpoint, validation and in a lot of ways is the most important thing. I mean, of course you want to be able to make a living and making lots mm-hmm. of money is awesome, but, but yeah, if it wasn't for that, I mean, it's like, 
I, I don't want to say I wouldn't want to do it at all, but it certainly helps kind of oh, yeah. fuel the fire, man. You know, it's like, okay, cool. I'm, I feel like this, there's this a purpose to, to doing this. I mean, it's, it's pretty, probably a clumsy comparison, but I know. So as I said, I worked in retail for, from the age of 16 right up into my thirties and I hated every minute of it. Like I really did. Like it's, I don't know what it's like over there, but people were just, you know, management just were, were yeah. not the nicest. You just weren't treated very well. Um, I struggled quite severely with my mental health for a long time. And when I'd gone to uni, I'd gone to study like radio production. I was wanting to, you know, resent on radio, produce radio, all this kind of stuff. And then I think now, you know, looking back, so obviously I'm, I'm out of retail now, I work in mental health, which I love. Oh, that's great. That's I love great. very, very much. So rewarding. And then obviously, like, I don't make a penny from my classic album. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. Like, you know, I just get to have amazing conversations with people about music. And again, it's those comments when someone's saying to you, just stuff like this. This guy was like, Oh, I listen to you every day when I, when I go for my run. Like, I love your podcast. You know yeah. what I mean? Just something like that to think, I'm a part of someone's day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, That's great. Yeah. I'm going to put my classic album on and go for a run. You know, just something like that. Or people saying like, you know, oh, when's the next one coming out? Like, I know people have messaged me because I'm taking a bit of a break till the new year because I'm moving house and a few other things. And people say like, oh, so who you having on with the next album? I don't even know yet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But <laughs> it's nice that people are excited and that people, you know, still in, that people enjoy it. But at the same time, there's a wealth of stuff to go back and listen to in the meantime as well. So, right, so it's all right. good. Nah, it's cool, man. I just think it's such a, uh, it's just such a cool idea, man. I'm so glad that however the hell we connected, we did. And yeah. I had such a blast talking with you about appetite and, and your, your premise is so amazing. And it's obviously, um, people are enjoying it. It's really cool. You had, I love the battle of the bands for lack of a better word that, you know, battle yeah. the albums, right? <laughs> and then like you're getting these fantastic guests and you're getting people that are high level, you know, people in the, in the, uh, you know, really credible you know legitimate musicians that are going yeah cool i'll do this this is awesome you know and it's kind of spreading around and and i think that all comes from the place of the passion that you put into it and what you do because you love it you know and you do the research and it's something it's not like you're just like you didn't start this podcast to make money right i mean maybe it will that would be amazing right just like vic and i would be like wouldn't this be great like (laughs) made like 10 bucks yeah But, but it's like, you know, so, but that's the whole thing. It's like the, in, I, with anything, right? And that's, and that's, I always say this, I always say this, like, when someone's creating from my, my point of view as an artist, it's like, as long as someone's creating something from that place of like, their person, their soul, like, it's art, it's, they're not commer- creating it because they're trying to be like, oh, how can I make a bunch of money? Now, I, I get when you get to a higher level, right? And it's like, it's not that easy, right? Yeah. But but I still think Queen being a great example. Maybe they went more commercial, but it does, so what? It was all still amazing, and they were yeah. great enough musicians. They could do any genre, any style, and the Beatles or any of those. But I'm glad they did. It didn't stay stagnant. It didn't stay stale. They kept evolving. Yeah. But everything was not everything is going to be good. But it was they could do good in all these different genres, whether it was a pop commercial hit or a metal progressive thing. It doesn't matter. So there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't like when it's like something is like whether it's a podcast or music or anything, it's just this contri- everything's like contrived from the get go, right? Nah, mm-hmm. man, like that's art is supposed to be about personal expression. So I think for me, it's like if something comes from that place, then I'm like, cool. Like it doesn't matter if I'm like, yeah, I don't really like this. I can like appreciate you can kinda understand like sometimes I feel like you can feel a vibe of something and appreciate like where it came yeah. from, you know? Even if you're not resonating on a personal level. 
Yeah, totally. And I think a good example of that, and I, I tried again, like I love Metallica, again, one of my favourite bands. I've never been able to get into Lulu with Lou Reed, like oh. no matter how hard I try. Yeah, it's uh, hard. Once a year, once every couple of years, I think, I'm going to try this again, see if I can get a little bit further, see if I can get a bit further. But at the same time, I can't not appreciate, again, the the work and the and the effort and the talent that went into that album. It's just not for me. You know, you gotta, I, just can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> you got to give them credit, man. Like, I, I think Metallica is so, so fascinating because they always have taken those chances. And that's one thing maybe that why they're so huge. I mean, mm-hmm. from the get-go, they've always just written, written insanely great songs, you know, amazing songs, great live performers, workhorses, great business sense, you know, from Lars probably particularly. But yeah, all that stuff made it what it is. Great management, but yada, yada, yada. But but always taking those chances, evolving. A lot of things that make you just go like, uh, for like Load came out. Everyone's like, they cut their hair and they suck, sellouts. Uh. It's a great album. Load's a great album. It's sonically fantastic. There's a lot of good, good music on it. I think Load is fantastic. Uh, this whole like notion they sold out with the Black Album is absurd to me. Oh, I think the yeah. Black Album is a masterpiece. Um, I think everything they did up to Load, Reload's not my favorite. It's, it's hit and miss to me. I find Saint Anger, I've tried. The same thing, or Lulu, I find unlistenable. But hey, mm-hmm. you know they tried it. They tried something different. Props to them for for doing it. You know, it, you know. I mean, does ACDC ever do that? No, but I still love ACDC too. Like, exactly. You're like, you know what you're gonna get. It's always good. It's just different bands. I don't have a problem either way, right? Like, if you if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Mm-hmm. But Metallica, they're always just trying different things, and sometimes. They fall flat, but hey, I know I know a guy that loves Saint Anger and he hates Metallica, which is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> that is bizarre. But hey, whatever, you know, different strokes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean talking again about I mean obviously we're going more the documentary now. We're talking more about kind of rock movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, some kind of monster, and I, again, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. my mental health background as well with them being in the therapy sessions and stuff. I find that a fascinating movie, just kind of watching this band sort of implode and then come back together and and the album that came out of it so it's and to their credit yeah yeah, to their credit putting that out there too even just the the, you know exposing yourself and you know maybe some of it is for show but but there's no doubt i mean there's no doubt can you imagine the stress and i mean those guys you know i mean of course you could have a freaking nervous breakdown and Mm -hmm. as a musician myself like i'm a huge proponent for the what's called the sins foundation here in, in austin and so many people i've been surprised to meet so many people and, and have very open conversations about depression and this and that mm-hmm. and whether and you're like wow really you because you look like you're doing really well but like so many people struggle with the same thing and i don't even think that it, it doesn't seem like it's contingent on where you are on the totem pole monetarily or success wise nah. this the human struggle you know and yeah. so that, i think there's something cool about that and and yeah, Metallica's always kind of been at the forefront. One thing I hated about that movie was Dave Mustaine crying. I was like, no, stop it, Dave. <laughs> I was like, make it up oh, fucking damn. rules, dude. Like, oh, the best damn. thing that ever happened. I mean, yeah, I get, like, for his, from his standpoint, I'm like, thank mm. God you got kicked out of Metallica. Megadeth is awesome. Like, I'm so, I love Megadeth. <laughs> we wouldn't have any of that. Like, that, oh, it probably could have never worked, man. That's just too many strong egos yeah. in one place, you know? Absolutely. I think when you talk about the mental health side of things, I mean, to be fair, I, I could, I could come and talk about mental health for as, as long as you wanted me to for my own, obviously, my, my own struggles with it as well as kind of working in mental health now. Music and with, without sounding, and this is probably at the risk of sounding a bit kind of melodramatic and stuff. Music's literally saved my life on more than one occasion. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so it, I, don't, so it, I think that's a, I think that goes for probably most of us, dude. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, we all have soundtracks of our life that get us through those times man and i I, Mm -hmm. it's like i think you can identify there are certain memories and maybe Mm -hmm. even you know locations and smells who knows that 
take you back to an album and put you in a place like I, it's it's pretty amazing and i think that i don't know man i would venture to say that's um pretty what do you think vic like pretty um no i think common, it's common you know yeah, yeah it's pretty common yeah. it's pretty accurate i mean there's a lot of think, things that yeah. i can think back to yeah <laughs> I think if we think of like, so for me, a, a very recent album, I think it was only a couple of years old now, Corn's album, The Nothing, which obviously mm-hmm. Jonathan Davis wrote like after his wife had died. And I mean, that's a guy who's, I mean, Corn were always my, if I'm down, I'm listening to Corn. They put that, every, they, yeah, he's yeah. always put everything on the table. Like exactly. the darkest shit is just like, there you go. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend I've had anything like that life right. experience. I haven't, but there's something quite cathartic about being able to kind of listen to that in and feel that someone understands and but that album particularly and again so i was doing my training for my current post um at the time so i wasn't struggling with my mental health at the time that album came out and i mean i've loved corn for years i think they've had some amazing albums that for me controversial opinion is probably their best album i absolutely mm-hmm. love the nothing i think it's an amazing album do you know uh, much about the band Typo Negative? Have you listened to them much? I've listened to it a little bit. Not, I wouldn't say a lot. Mm. Typo's kind of that for me. And Typo's interesting because I think Typo, there is a genuine place uh, of of depression and mental illness and all that that comes from mm-hmm. the lyrical content and, and the guy, the prime, you know, prime, who is now deceased songwriter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, but, I, but, I, but they did something so amazing with it. They put a sort of, there's a be- you can kind of listen to it either way. Like there's a satirical spin on a lot of things. It's humorous and hilarious, but there's also like a a really, for lack of a better word, they got that goth label that's yeah. got a, that subtext that is dark. And it, and I re- that man in particular for me, I could always listen to and be like almost like empowered mm-hmm. by listening to that. And it's like this is the, I identify with this depression and this yeah. misery and you know and all those kind of things, but it's also making me laugh. And it's making me fucking, you know, pumped. And the music is cool. And I, one, another thing I love about that band is I think they did a great job of, like, they, of just combining. Like, they, they do all, they used to cover all these classic rock songs. And you can hear the Beatles' influence. You got to kind of listen for it. I mean, there's the obvious Sabbath. But every time I ever saw them live, they would cover CCR, Beatles, or Doors, or all these. They always had a couple, like, Neil Young, Cinnamon Girl, Seals and Crofts, you know, Summer Breeze, and they would always do it their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and then they, but they got this goth moniker. They had this slow, you know, this vampire rock, but it was mixed with punk rock and metal and satire. And I just, I just love that. Such a unique brand uh, of that. And and for me, uh, and like probably like you're talking about with Corn, it was just something that whether I was depressed or not, I could like tap into that part of me and yeah. It's almost empowering in a way, right? It makes you feel yeah. better, you know? Does No, it really doesn't. I think that's the thing that I know, you know, there'd be certain people in my life that would be thinking, why are you listening to that? Obviously, so it's like, am I, are, you, are you trying to make yourself feel worse kind of thing? It's but the it's the like, opposite. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. The yeah. absolute opposite. And we're all and different. And I, it's funny because I know because some people, like, they listen to good old, you know, uh, going down to the river and drinking beers in my buddy's country. And that makes them feel mm-hmm. good to me. I'm like, I'm fucking pissed now. Like, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't identify with it. I hated high school. You know, it's uh, like I, I want to type one negative makes me feel good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it's, just, you know, it's. Everyone's different. Oh, totally. Anyway, back to Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Uh, we skipped over in the lap of the gods, which is a sort of uh, bookmark of side one, side two. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Or, sorry. It, it, well, actually, side two. Yeah. It's it's 
so in the lap of the gods is is the first and last track on side two, right? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's up with this tune? So, <laughs> what I'd say to anyone who is maybe doing a deep dive is like just the f- so the first time I listened to this album, so it was on CD. So at the time. Like Roger Taylor lets out this like really like high screaming falsetto. Yes, yes. And like, I think we even said on the episode where we covered it, I'm like, you know, brace yourself for it. Cause if you don't know what's coming, like don't listen to the album on shuffle. <laughs> don't put it in a playlist on shuffle. Cause it, it, it does it frank. Like, I mean, it, the notes are crazy. Like even those high notes on Bohemian Rhapsody, you presume they're Freddie, they're Roger, you know, and when you hear the gravelly voice, Roger, that range is amazing. So that, that at the very start is Roger Taylor, which is, which, it blows my mind. I I hope I don't have the wrong song here because mm-hmm. it, it 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 made me think of Pink Floyd for a couple of reasons here. Mm-hmm. One, I think a lot of those times with like Floyd too, you'll hear some of the higher vocals, which is actually Richard Wright, not Gilmore sometimes, yeah. right? Um, and but also it made me think when I the first time I was listening to this, I and I don't know if it's this note you're talking about, but maybe it is because it almost made me think of Great Kick in the Sky, Claire Torrey's soaring vocals. Yeah. It almost had. Way up there, it almost sounds female, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is yeah. That the, is that probably the same vocal we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. And I think because again, it comes in towards the end, so I think they've, they've put some kind of effect on Freddie's voice as well, where it sounds a bit slowed down or a bit deeper. And then Roger comes back in as they're kind of coming out of the song. And again, I think they may be the bits. I'd never made that comparison before, but I think you're really right. I think it, it does remind me of Great Gig in the Sky. Yeah, it's pretty cool, <clears> man. And yeah, and I never would have, and if I hadn't gone through and like listened to this and, and read about it a little bit i would have never thought that i just was mm-hmm. about oh classic mercury way up there in the stratosphere but no yeah. it's totally not you know mm-hmm. that's the thing that's so cool about a lot of these bands too is like you have these multiple sing- seems like maybe back then more than now i mean you got great har- i think of bands like alice and chains who are great you know known for the harmonies and yeah. the dual singers but a lot of bands they have a front man and then they layer the, you know, they'll have the background vocals, but no, but no one's going like, oh, Duff McKagan's a great singer. No defense to Duff. I love mm-hmm. Duff and I love Guns N' Roses, but it's not like, you know, Jerry Cantrell, Lane Staley, or David Gilmore. Well, Waters has a weird ass voice, but it's pretty iconic. Or, or yeah. Lennon McCartney, right? I mean, it's like, you don't think of it in that same context. And so you kind of have this Ozzy or Axel or Mike mm-hmm. Patton or whatever, right? And the other guys are supporting, but you don't think of them vocally. Whereas a lot of these older bands, it seems like they have these, Everyone was just this like freaking. I mean, Queens must be the pinnacle of that because, duh, like you're just yeah, listening to this insane yeah. harmony stuff all the time. I'm thinking Michael I Anthony think with Van Halen. A, yeah, I think I'm I'm such a sucker for a harmony, and I think that comes from my love of Queen. Like yeah. even kind of that rumors era Fleetwood Mac, where you've got kind of Lindsey uh, yeah. Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Christine McVie, kind of their voices just seem to work together like in this just most amazing way, which is. You know, without going too much into kind of the <laughs> the trials and tribulations of Fleetwood Mac, like I think it's such a shame that Lindsay's not in that band anymore. Like because, yeah, again, you know, it's mm. I think you need all of them. It's it's you know they're all a vital piece of that puzzle, at least for that era of Fleetwood Mac. You know, obviously, I know yeah, much yeah. more before that. That's the thing about those multi singer bands. It's kind of weird. I mean, even when you have like ACDC and Bon mm-hmm. Scott, you know, I mean, they're so iconic. But Brian Wilson, can't, Brian Wilson, Brian. For God's sake, Brian Johnson. It's not the freaking Beach Boys, man. <laughs> Brian Johnson came in. By the way, speaking of the Beach Boys, I heard one of the funniest damn things the other day. I just cracked me up, and I just I, I love it. Um, you know the man, the band, the Melvins. You know mm-hmm. much about those guys? So, 
I mean, the Melvins put out an album like every 15 minutes. They're just insanely pro- prolific. <laughs> they're always touring. I love the Melvins. They're, they're awesome. I love them. And I didn't even know they had something new out because there's always something new out. And the first, the first track, I don't think it's a cover record, but the first track is called I Fuck Around. And I was like, <laughs> okay, click, click, play. And it's a cover of this, the old I Run Around, I think, by the Beach Boys. But instead yeah. of I Run Around, Round, oh. or I Get Around, I Get Around. Yeah. All it is, fuck around, fuck around, I fuck around, I fuck around. And they've got all the fucking Beach Boys. Ah! It's absolutely hilarious, dude. I cannot get enough of it. It's just That's, amazing. That, as soon as we're finished, that's what I'm listening to. Oh, dude, I fuck around yeah. by the Melvins. Like, <laughs> Grammy... It's the best. Anyway, <laughs> um, hey, t- talking about Brian Johnson. I mean, obviously he's from Newcastle, which is just up the road. Oh from, yeah, 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 from, from Durham. And it's so funny because obviously, if people, people who haven't heard him talk, I always think that's a really funny thing because obviously you hear that ACDC screechy vocal, and he's like, "I'm Brian Johnson," <laughs> like, <I'm a> <laughs> like, and, and I played it to my sister, my older sister, because um, my nephew's really getting into ACDC. Um, and I was like, oh, do you want to hear what, I was like, listen to this, you'll not, cause he's from Newcastle. She's like, easy. Played him, I think it's cause he did this mint TV series where he like, he goes to visit all these rock stars. So he like interviewed Sting and Mick Fleetwood and, um, Dave Grohl and all these people and like just talks about their career. So right. I played her a clip of that and she just, she couldn't believe that this proper, the quintessential Geordie bloke. <laughs> it's like the vocal, right. the vocalist of, uh, of ACDC, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy, but I, I think, yeah, I think that's, and it's controversial because I know a lot of people always, you know, Bon Scott is Bon Scott, but I think, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of kind of, kind of regional pride. I always love the, the Brian Yeah, Johnson, I mean, personally. he filled the shoes, man. You know, I mean, yeah. you can, well, I feel like we were just talking about this. Maybe it was Rob, uh, Vic, I don't remember what episode it was, but we're, uh, kind of like the Highway to Hell versus Back in Black. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, both, dude. Like, yeah. they're both yeah. just fantastic albums. Like, I, I can't pick one era or the other. Like, there's that, you know, the, the, the Van Hagar, right? Or the, the <laughs> David Lee Roth versus, like, people side with this and that. I'm like, man, I like For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. I like 1984. I'm not admittedly the hugest Van Halen fan that knows mm-hmm. their catalog, but I think there's really great stuff from both. And same with ACDC. I, I feel like ACDC just can never do wrong. No. They may not be reinventing the wheel. You know what you're going to get, but it's always good, man. I mean, that last album that they've just done. It's good. Album, it's yeah. It's really, really good. good. Um, Stone Cold Crazy. Like, you would think, like, we could just... First, first of all, one thing I noticed about this track is really short. I don't think Metallica's version was that short. They must have added some stuff, unless I'm wrong. I, I don't know if maybe the solo was a bit longer, possibly. Um, to be fair, I've never put them side by side, but yeah. I, like, I, like I said before, I saw them play that at Nebworth, um, which was just amazing. Cause obviously Nebworth for, for Queen fans is, is pretty hallowed ground. Cause that was Queen's last ever gig with Freddie. And it was the, the Sonosphere Festival. Um, and I was actually working there as like, I was working oh, at the wow. VIP campsite and they basically said like, if you get everyone ushered in, you know, get, t- show them to their tents in the VIP campsite. You can go and see whatever bands you want over the weekend. And, Metallica with the last band on, so I was like, right, perfect. Went along to see Metallica. It was during the um World Magnetic tour, so it was probably about ten years ago now. But it was uh oh. they did Stone Cold Crazy at the end and oh yeah, it was just it was amazing. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. That song, what was Freddie Mercury's prior band? So so there was a few so he was in a band called Wreckage. That was um it. yeah. But then obviously Brian and Roger were in a band called Smile. I think that's one of the few songs until later on, like later in the eighties. That's I think that's one of the few songs in the seventies that's credited to all four of them. Um, well, I, I read yeah. because they, I, I sounded like it had its um, like em, em, embryonic state 
in uh in, in Mercury's band maybe, but but they so. apparently they uh it's credited to all four because they couldn't remember who wrote the lyrics. <laughs> That's what I read. I don't know if it's yeah. accurate or not. It's what I mean, mean, yeah, I, th- I think to be fair, I think like even those early Queen gigs, I think they were playing Stone Cold Crazy. I think it is like one, yeah, of, the, you're right. yeah. one of the first, but then for whatever reason, it didn't make those those initial two albums. And I think it would have fitted in really nicely on the first album, actually. Well, back about. to the thrash metal thing, man. I mean, mm. that's pretty freaking hard hard rock for, I mean, they're yeah. playing that in the early, early 70s, and that's yeah. pretty freaking heavy. Totally, totally, and I think I think that's what once once you dive in for me, it's just like going down a rabbit hole because he, you know, the greatest hits are great, particularly, you know what I mean, like like we say, a great rock band in the seventies, great pop band in the eighties, and right. but when you dig into all of those albums, there's just so much going on, and you know, all these kind of things where you think, oh well, were they one of the first to do this, or were they trying to do this here, or what was going on, and you know, even and then you dive into the solo stuff, and then that's another rabbit hole altogether. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just yeah, just so well, much to get stuck into. And it was a little. It was a little later, and maybe a little more recording had come. You know, due to partly to the Beatles and George mm-hmm. Martin and Les Paul and these guys. Like you know, recording had come a long way since the Beatles started making their the records. I guess in the yeah. early sixties. But like, uh, yeah, because the Beatles. You know, they everyone back then. Even though it was way harder to do, everyone put out like two records a year back then. And now it takes mm-hmm. you know guys like me like four years to put out one you know two songs. But like it was like. The Beatles, I mean, it seems like they had five, six, whatever pop records, which did have like a nice variety of cool stuff, but it doesn't seem like they really started like evolving, right? So Rubber Soul Revolver, maybe, yeah. to be fair, maybe, right? Whereas Queen, like right off the bat, here we got this album that's just like freaking, you know, Abbey Road. It's freaking got all everything, you know? Yeah. And I think even like the so Queen 2, which if you walk up the stairs in my house, we've got like a framed copy of Queen 2 because it's the uh-huh. Bohemian Rhapsody pose like at the very top of the stairs. Right. And like even that, so just, just read stuff like, so it's not side A and side B, it's the black side and the white side. You know what I mean? And I just, just, just the way that they kind of thought about the whole presentation of it all and I've re- I've, I've just ordered because it's it's just been re-released because I, I couldn't get my hands on it the last time there's this like amazing box set of all their studio albums on vinyl which has set me oh, back wow. quite a bit um but even that like when it's come like when, when it when it does come rather queen 2 they're splitting over two records so one of them is going to be white and one of them is going to be black and just I just think the way that they kind of that they thought about things at the time. And you just see that evolution. Like if you went through all the albums, like I think there is actually a podcast that does this, but you could do a podcast about that evolution of Queen going through the albums because mm. you can see this journey that they go on and kind of not just the band, but kind of the members and kind of what's influencing them at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you listen to the solo stuff, you're like, oh, right. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's what's going on. Like it's, it's very much something that if, if you, that you can follow, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and back to like just the album and that you know the vinyl and having that like stuck little things like that. Like I thought that was so cool. Guns and Roses, back to Appetite, the G side mm-hmm. and the R side, you know, yeah. and you know the black side and the white side, and 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 just all those kind of little little things. They're cool, you know. It's a it's a work. It's a complete body of art. It's an artistic endeavor mm-hmm. from the music itself to the art and all of it. And uh, there is a song. So getting then you have this interesting sort of little run of songs that are all very short. Yeah, and we were talked about Misfire a little bit, but like Dear Friends, Misfire, really short little songs, right? Def Leppard covered Dear Friends, and they like made it longer, so they like put they put a bit more into it because that's just a really simple little. It's Freddie in the piano. I think it, I think it might even be Brian on the piano. Like just really simple harmonies, and, and I think it's just over a minute long. It's really really short, and then and then obviously Misfire, which is 
John Diggins' first writing credit. And John, he doesn't actually sing any, any vocals on any, any Queen albums. He's the only one who, who doesn't. And there's always, I always like this. I always say, whenever we talk about Queen or talk about John Deacon on the podcast, Freddie used to call him the ostrich because he wouldn't do it much, but when he did, he would lay the golden egg. And, <laughs> and as you get into the eighties, I think with those Queen albums, the John builds in confidence and some of those biggest Queen hits are John Deacon songs. So you're talking things like, you're my best I friend. Know. I want to yeah. break free, you know, um, you know, these songs that, are, he really, that, another one bites the dust, you know, that's, that's yeah. John. Um, you know, so f- for me, he, although I think if you did a straw poll and you said someone name all four members of Queen, like I think that he'd be the one that people would struggle with the most. Right. It gets to a point where he's probably one of the most integral once you get into the eighties in terms of the band's sound. And I think this is that misfire because I think he plays all the instruments on this. Um, and he, he writes it. This is his first, like, right. Well, Let's see how this goes. And then right. the next album is going to be my best friend, which is, which is just oh. an amazing song. So I really like it because it's the start of kind of John's kind of musical journey in, in a weird way. <laughs> then you got bring back that Leroy Brown, <laughs> Tap Kipper to, to Jim Croce, right? Uh, yeah, I love this song. So that, again, when I said Vaudeville earlier on, like, yeah. it's, it's again just 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 a crazy song, but it just it, again it just works in the context of the album. I think it's definitely you know I mean I do listen to Queen on shuffle. I, I don't put in the lap of the gods in there just in case, but like you know bring bring back that Leroy Brown. Just it just fits in at that point. You've had a couple of short songs. Um, it's really upbeat. It's yeah, it, it it's just it, crazy, absolutely crazy. But um, did they do it live? I think they may have done it live a little bit. Um. But again, this is, I think that's one of those kind of hidden gems that when you go in, like, if you think, if, if your knowledge of Queen is like, you know, Radio Gaga, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. another one bites the dust, bring back that Leroy Brown is going to be a bit of a left turn, but like a, a like a really good one. <laughs> so. Well, that's the thing about Queen though. Like you expect, mm-hmm. I expect left turns. Like even mm-hmm. Queen hits are left turns, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know what you mean. Like it's not one you would know. What I thought was interesting too, and it's obvious if you know Marx Brothers, but they had, um, not this one, I guess, Night of the Opera. And then what was the one after that? Because they were both Marx Brothers titles. Oh, Day of right? the Races. Day of the Races. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, uh, is there anything beyond that? Just would one of the members or all of them just huge Marx Brothers fans? Or do you know anything about that? Yeah. So we did Night of the Opera last year. It was about this time last year. And there's an awesome set. So again, someone else I would totally recommend checking out, an amazing singer called Savannah Pope. And we'd had her on previously. We talked about the Rocky Horror soundtrack and she came back on to do a Night of the Opera. And she'd said that... And I'd never known this. This was one of those times where I was given a Queen fact that I didn't know, and that was really exciting, was that that Queen had actually performed for Groucho Marx, like in his home, he'd invited, given like a personal invite to his home. Oh, wow. And they performed 39, which is on a night of the opera. There may have been some other songs as well. Um, so for me, I thought it almost just been an appreciation of the, you know, of those movies, but it wow. sounds like that appreciation was mutual. Um, so yeah, so I think that's really cool. Um, that is I think, cool. I think yeah. that's, you know, again, the fact that those influences aren't just musical influences, that they're, they're pulling from all sorts of different areas. Um, and then that's reflected in the music. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, the, the, the mus- musicality of the Marx Brothers themselves, even, right? And then, yeah. you know, but then also the kind of the quirkiness of the comedy. Um, now, one thing that hit me when I heard She Bakes Me, I think, um, mm-hmm. Brian May, too, and he's got acoustic guitar. This almost like, felt to me like I got a little bit of vibe of something that didn't come till quite a bit later, like a crazy little thing called love almost felt like a little, mm. a little, not, not, you know what I mean? Like uh, just something about the vibe in the acoustic guitar. 
Um, I, I love this. It's one of my favourites. But again, I, 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 I'm just, as much as I love Freddie, I'm very much a sucker for those on the Queen albums where it's Roger O'Brien singing because I just mm. love that variety. Um, yeah, that's, I think right, that's all Brian. Yeah, you're right. It's him on vocals too. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's an interesting one because from what I gather, I don't think it's a hugely popular one with people. Like I've never heard people really rave about how it's this amazing song. I, from day one, I, it really kind of struck me. Um, it's just got this really kind of, it's just got this real vibe about it. I can't even describe the word that, that I'm thinking. And then there's some sounds at the end that, that he's called kind of New York nightmare sounds. Just right. Kind of yeah. Yeah. On. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's, you know, because there are some albums where, you know, he, Brian maybe does a couple of vocals and it's, it's just this track, obviously with his health problems, I think at the time, but it's a really, yeah, I just think I, I think it, for me it's a standout track. It's one of my favorites on the album, um, but I don't know if I'm kind of in the minority with that one. But, well, you know, with you picking this album, which is you know, it's impossible, right? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> yeah. pick it, I, I'll pick Appetite because it was like what kind of started me on that path, I guess. Yeah, That's yeah. why I picked it. But I could pick any number of albums. But but one thing obviously in common with this or Appetite or whatever is like there are no bad tracks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. You might have your favorites there, the hits or whatever, but there's just like, listen to this album, there's like no moment when I was like, mm, you know, and there's a few Queen songs where I'm just like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, when you write that many freaking songs, like not everything's going to be Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, but like, that, man, it's, it's like really solid start to finish. And then tell us about the reprise. So what is the deal? With the bookmarks on on the B side, yes. So yeah, so it's it's. I mean, it's a very different song, isn't it? So it's kind of in the in the lap of the gods revisited, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bit more. I think this was one of the first ones that became a bit of an anthem for them live. Um, so I've obviously seen seen perform. Well, obviously not in the flesh, but seen performances of them doing it in the lap of the gods revisited. Um, again, I think that those songs are part of that Rai world that he's kind of built with his like a, a imagination and a sister and all this kind of stuff. So I think there's quite a few tracks laid on those first three albums um, that are part of this sort of imaginary world that he created. And I'd actually found there was a guy on Facebook who's actually obviously a massive Queen fan and he's written a book all like a fantasy novel all about this, this magical world that Freddie created and kind of based off all the songs and this, that and the other. And he's trying to get it published at the moment. Wow. Um, so that's something I'm keeping an eye on because I'd love to read it just to kind of see. Cause yeah. again, obviously, so that all that creativity from Queen is obviously really, I think he's from New Zealand or Australia. It's just created this real kind of obviously really inspired him to kind of write this, to write this story. Um, but I think it's cool that there's so many, I'd, I'd have to have a bit of a look back through them all. I know there's like my fairy king on the first album, and right. March of the Black Queen on the second album. And there's quite a few of them that all fit into this kind of, like obviously all Freddie songs and they all fit into this narrative of like this, this magical world called Rye. And I think that's what in the lap of the gods is. I think that kind of the book ending the album, I think that they're, that may be the last time because I'm sure, I don't think a night at the opera has got anything like that. I think that's probably, probably the last one. Yeah, it was like kind of that segue point from that fantasy, which is like kind of a common theme with progressive, right? right? Like you think of Rush lyric, right? You think of that, a lot of that kind of fairy tale esque sort of lyrical yeah. content. And, but then they kind of got away from that queen, right? From, from mm-hmm. here on out, it wasn't so much yeah. back to that. Because I think even, even like, obviously, people have debated for years what Bohemian Rhapsody is about. And in some ways, I don't really want to know what it's about. Mm-hmm. I mean, me and Savannah had a really. Because she had a lot of thoughts. I think we was talking about half an hour about Bohemian Rhapsody when we covered Night at the Opera. Um, and then there's a song on there called The Prophet's Song on Night at the Opera, but that's a Brian May song, so that's not kind of fitted into that. 
narrative. And then I think once you get to a day at the races, it starts to become a little more news of the world. Certainly it starts to get a bit more kind of straightforward, like um, kind of rock anthems kind of thing. And then obviously as we get into the eighties, that's, I mean, jazz, actually, I was thinking about jazz. That's probably an album I don't listen to very much. Jazz is another album that's just all over the place. Yeah. Um, ironically, I don't think there's any kind of jazz influence on that album at all. Yeah, um, I was wondering what the title, what's up with the title for that album. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really know what before, but, but yeah, I think that's probably one of the ones I listen to the least. Not that I dislike it, but like, I love those early albums. Um, and then there's some of the ones in the 80s that, that have a lot of time. So like, I, I like, like, I love Innuendo, which was Freddie's last one before he passed. I think that's an amazing album. I think um, The Works was a really good album. But again, they're probably the points where, obviously, there's still that rock influence in there, but it's a lot more chart-friendly. It's a lot more poppy. It's more in line with that 80s sound. Um, right. There was no getting away from that sound, like when the 80s hit. And yeah. It had it in the 70s, but it was like kind of kind of cool. And then, I'm not to say the 80s wasn't. It was just different. Mm. But yeah, it's like you weren't going to get away from the synths and the... Yeah, it just, exactly. It was going to happen. Hey! Speaking of the eighties and um and that you know eighties sound for like pop synth and all that kind of music, yeah, yeah. Uh, guys from your neck of the woods. Now I could be completely one thousand percent wrong. Mm. Where's Sting from? Somewhere in that area? Or no, so Sting's Newcastle. Yeah, he's in mm. Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. What about Duran Duran? I think Duran Duran are a bit further. I think they're a bit further south. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to look that up because I'm not sure actually. But I think they in my head they've always just been further south. I think it's more like, like I say, Brian Johnson, Sting, Mark Knopfler. They're kind oh, of Mark Knopfler. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, right over there on the River Tyne, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I mean, this is amazing. Like, next time I come over there to see Guy, I'm like, we should hang, man. Definitely, definitely. Talking about Sting, actually. So, in Durham, obviously, the cathedral, Durham Cathedral, uh-huh. I've only been, I've been lucky enough to see Sting only once. Um, and it happened to be, he was performing inside Durham Cathedral, which was just an amazing memory. So my dad was in Durham Place at the time. They were doing this thing for the BBC where he was performing. He released an album about Songs of Winter or something like that. And he was obviously he was performing in the BBC. We're filming it. And my dad rang me up. I was at work. And he was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, not much. Why? And he was like, oh, well, do you want to come to the cathedral? Sting's doing a dress rehearsal. So was... <laughs> <laughs> we went in, obviously, there were other people there, but like, we sat and watched, and what was great was he performed the song he's going to perform on the, on the special, but there's a song from his album, Brand New Day, called Ghost Story, which I've always mm-hmm. loved. And he was like, I'm not going to perform this one when we're recording it, but I'm, I'm going to play it now. And so then I got to hear one of my, one of my favorite Sting songs, Inside Dream Cathedral, which is just wow. a memory I'll, I'll never forget. You can buy it on DVD, the performance. Um, but it was, Brand, yeah, brand New Day, what year was that album? I want to say 99. That that wasn't the one with um, if I ever lose my faith, was it? No, that was I, earlier. I feel like that was Ten Summoners Tales, possibly. Mm. Brand New Day had Desert Rose. Oh, okay, yeah. That's where uh, he started. Kind of shortly after that, he went off in a bit of a indulgent direction for a little while, and he's recently kind of jumped back into. What um you've had, have you had done a police album? Has anyone done a police album? Yeah, we did Synchronicity. Okay. Yeah, so it was Dave, Dave Johnson's been on twice, so he did Highway to Hell, but the first time he did Synchronicity. Um, oh, nice, good pick. Which yeah. it's a great album. Um, Just messing around with a little police. I was doing like a band rehearsal with with some of the guys from Good Roger and yesterday, and we we ended up kind of just playing a little, uh, talking about poli- police a little bit. Do that, yeah. and we ended up doing uh, 
a little bit of um I had never played this. I love this so the, the one I just mentioned, um which now I can't think of the damn title. <laughs> oh, that, um, I, it was my faith, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really great chord progressions, really interesting stuff. Did did um, disturb co- did disturbed cover that recently? Did they? I, I have feel no like idea they did. Because they did, wow, they did Sound of Silence and then I feel like they did that. Oh, wow. But I'd I might have made that up. <laughs> I'm sure they did, though. I'm sure they have did. Have you had a Maiden album? Yes, so we did Power Slave. That was quite recent. Quite recent. I'm gonna Someone let you and Vic list. go. I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna turn it over to Vic and let you guys go. Go Maiden here. Go me. Maiden. <laughs> let's, let's talk Power Slave. Let's let's talk Power Slave. Power Slave. All right, man. That yeah. that actually, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner was the first song I heard off of that album. So that was what eighty five, I think. 84, 85, yeah. I think you might be on, I think you're on the money there. I think it's 85. I think it's, so for me, I mean, I, I I think with the, to be fair, like with Maiden, 80s Maiden albums, I don't think you can go wrong, to be honest. I think they're all amazing. Um, and I, I genuinely, I thought that someone would pick Number of the Beast first or maybe Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. So I was really pleasantly surprised when it was Power Slave. I was like, ah, yeah, no. I I would, I would probably go with Killers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first one I heard, but after I heard it, I was like, wow, I really like this I, one. Is that their second album? The second early. one. Yeah, yeah they still had, <laughs> um, um, they didn't have Bruce Dickinson yet. They had, uh, oh gosh. I was going to say Blaze Bailey, but it's not, it's not Blaze Bailey. Yeah, Paul, Paul Diano. Paul Diano. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, <sighs> Yeah, I mean to be fair, like I love I love those first two albums, but like I just I love Bruce Dickinson. Yes. So oh, yeah. <laughs> he can do no wrong in, in my eyes. But I mean even he, again, even that album Senjutsu this year, like um I know oh, some yeah. people don't like the kind of the proggy direction they've gone in. I, I really like it. I, I um, do. And that album, like it I ordered it on vinyl. It I was I was at work through the day, it turned up. My wife was on night shift, so that was one of those lights off headphones, let's just enjoy this <laughs> as it should be. After um, you sang, after you sang Beth. Then you were able to listen <laughs> after to I sang Beth. So I sang Beth, <laughs> Beth by case, and then I came downstairs. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, just uh, and I think that's I think that's what it is. I think it's you know that these bands, you know, like ACDC and Maiden, are still making these like ph- phenomenal albums. And you know, there's also yeah. some people who don't like them, but like I, I, I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think you can knock them. I think Senjutsu is an amazing album. I, I lost track after uh, for a bit after uh, the X Factor, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until. I think the final frontier. Yeah, I, I went and saw them. I actually saw them here in here in Texas, and then I went to Seattle to watch a show with my cousin, and then I started mm-hmm. backtracking, right, going back through the catalog backwards, and so picking up all, you know, where Adrian, Adrian, and Bruce Dickinson come back into the band. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what album that one is, but the Book of Souls came out. I love that album. Um, yeah, and this new one. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm the same as you. I kind of went, I kind of went back. So I had like a the, the best of the beast album. Was yes, my introduction to Iron Maiden. Uh, but I remember just obviously seeing that in the shop and thinking, yeah, I need to listen to this album. Yeah. Um. So obviously I was very familiar with that era, and then yeah, funnily enough, I think it was the final the final frontier tour that I saw them on, and then kind of went back um to kind of listen to these ones that I'd missed, like like Brave New World and, and all this kind of Brave stuff. So, yeah. But no, I, I just think that they're yeah, no, I, I just think they're, they're phenomenal. I'm, I'm really hoping there's a UK tour next year. That's what I'm hoping. Um, but I think it might be the year after because they they do some massive tours over in the states. Like yeah, months on end. So. Well, I know, I know Bruce is doing the the spoken word tour 
where he's, I guess he's talking about the album now. He's talking about the book that I'm going through right now. And so I think he's, he's doing a show in Austin in February. I, I bought a couple of tickets already. So oh, nice. I'm going to go check that out. I was, I was, I was hoping to go, but he didn't get, uh, it's funny because I guess obviously with, with the US being so big, like you guys will be much more inclined to travel for hours on end. But like, so for example, Manchester is probably like a two and a half, three hour drive. Like here in the UK, you'd be like, no, no, I'll catch you when you come <laughs> to Newcastle. That's half the country. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'll catch you when you come to Newcastle. So it's, I mean, when I was, when I was younger, I used to do that sort of thing, but it's, it's so funny, isn't it? Cause then people would be like, <laughs> they'll announce a UK tour and they'll do Birmingham, London and Glasgow. And you'd be like, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the same though here. Like, well, Texas is so huge. It's spread out. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. when we're at Austin, it's like very central, but. If someone plays San Antonio, it's like, cool, let's go. It's a hop yeah. and a skip down an yeah. interstate, you know, an hour drive. Yeah. If they're playing Dallas, it's like, nah, that's, that's three and a half hours. Well, I'm like, uh, Maiden did a show here and it was their only Texas show. And it was a, it was a few years back. And I think they were doing, they were doing the second half of, of those eighties albums, right? So they had the somewhere in time. They had the seventh son of the seventh sunset. I remember Are you talking that. about the one in San Antonio? No, the one that was here in Coda. Right, uh, that Megadeth opened, right? Yes, Megadeth opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and so I th- it was Megadeth the only totally got the opening band treatment on he that. Totally, show. totally like, did. Like five <laughs> songs, and I'm like, bye. I was like, what? <laughs> but dude, Maiden fucking crushed it. It was and, so good, man. And there were people from all over. Like, yeah, it was the only Texas show, so I think there was people from like Louisiana and just North Texas and everywhere else. I, I do remember that show. It was pretty big. Yeah. It's the only time I've seen Maiden, but I'm not nearly the Maiden fan you guys are. Shamefully, I there's so many albums I do. We, we do these kind of things and we talk about them. Like God, I, I should just like just I need to just like go listen to. I need to just like take like I should just have a calendar of like one week a year. I'm gonna like go through each band. I, I do this a lot. I have like and I don't know if it's because of the podcast or whether it predates that. I'm not sure, but like I'll have a certain band where I'll think right this year I'm gonna listen to this band more. So like Pink Floyd have been that band at one time, Fleetwood Mac have, last, last year it was Rush, like, where I think like, right, well, I'll, you know, I've, I like the hits, I like this, I like that, but I'm going to really dive into these and I'm going to, I'm really going to kind of dig in and, you know, that's when I usually then start geeking out on like documentaries and biographies and all of that kind of stuff. So right. it's always nice to, to be doing that. Um, but I think that's just me. I think if I'm not, Diving headfirst into something, then I'm I'm bored. So, <laughs> um, man, a few more questions. We'll let you go here pretty soon. We hitting the two hour mark as I yeah, no as worries. I suspected we would. I'm really glad that we like started <laughs> earlier than whatever our time zone. Whatever, <laughs> but like, uh, so you've been. To a, I'm. It sounds like a ton of concerts and amazing things. Are there any yeah. specific ones that are like your absolute favorites? So Metallica and Nebworth is definitely one that I always kind of think about. Um, again, when we're talking about Blackstone Cherry, shortly after me and my wife got married, we drove, it was one of the times that we did kind of drive <laughs> for a few hours, but we drove to Glasgow because the band were playing like a warm up gig before a big festival. So there was mm. literally, I think it was like 300 capacity or something. Um, they're like, like oh say, shit, it's like the US all over again. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was amazing. Um, to be fair, even that Roger Taylor one that I was just talking about actually, um, I mean, like I say, I've been looking, I saw Queen with Paul Rogers twice. That was great. I saw them with Adam Lambert. That was great. Um, but to say Roger Taylor, like doing that solo stuff and yeah. those kind of deeper cuts and, you know, he did Radio Gaga and all that kind of stuff as well. But, you know, and I was right at the front for that as well. So it was, uh, so that was, that was pretty special. 
Aerosmith. I saw Aerosmith at Hyde Park, and they were oh. phenomenal. Um, what tour was that? It was 2007. So I don't know what album they'll have been promoting at the time. Mm. They might have just come over for the, the festival dates. It was a, a festival called like Hard Rock Call, and I think Peter Gabriel played the first night, and Aerosmith played the second night. Um, and Aerosmith, yeah, they were they were just phenomenal. Um, oh gosh, I do think so. Obviously, Donington, um, Donington's kind of like hallowed ground here in the oh, UK yeah, for man. like metal fans, and obviously they do download every year. I think a standout from that. Um, shortly after his first solo album came out, Slash played it. Um, so he, he and I don't, I don't think Miles Kennedy was like official yet, but he was. Oh yeah, with him. Um, and I loved that first album where he just had like all the guest vocalists on and stuff. And he got Lemmy on, and they did their track from the album. And oh, I'm nice. a huge Motorhead fan, so that was amazing. And then he did Sweet Child of Mine, which I think I'd said to you at the time during the podcast is my favorite song of all time, like mm-hmm. undisputed. So to hear that, to hear uh, that riff, we talk about that then, yeah, yeah, to hear that riff and to see that it's Slash that's playing yeah. it, that was a, definitely a goosebump moment for me. Um, spoiled shortly after because I think my friend who'd come had brought his girlfriend and they had like a massive row afterwards. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just like I'll just leave you guys be. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go over here. Um, oh, but yeah, no. no, I think it's just. I'll think of loads after we've come off. You know, I think it's. Uh, I just love live music so much. Like last year was probably the first year since like 2002 oh, yeah. that I hadn't been to a gig, and it was just it was it was hard going. <laughs> like it really was. Um, but yeah, I just speaking of mental health, yeah. man. You know, I mean, it's that kind of stuff is a, a important release for yeah for people to get out and just have that moment. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's it impacts me less. I just think it's different these days. I'm critically listening. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm but I, I mean, we all remember being a teen or when you go to your first concert. I mean, my first concert was Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and Faith No More. To this day, three of my all-time favorite bands. Yeah. I mean, God, you know, unbelievable. I mean, just the impact and the how amazing that was. And so many, so many concerts since and, and just getting something different from each. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not to say that you can't get cool things from watching videos and live streams or whatever. But man, being there in the moment and experiencing that is just second to none. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think Guns N' Roses were probably my first as well. So I, I got my exam results. I was 16. I got my exam results that day. My mom had bought me a ticket for Leeds Festival. Guns N' Roses were playing on the Friday. So then me and my friends kind of drove down to Leeds, which is about an hour, hour and a half from Durham. It's not too far. And Guns N' Roses, but it was like Axel and Friends. Yeah, um, it, was when, it was when Bumblefoot was playing with him, right? I don't think he joined it. Was it Buckethead? It was Buckethead. Oh. So I've seen them with Bumblefoot. Yeah, same. Okay. Okay. But, uh, Buckethead was like, right. it was awesome. Like, oh, and Buckethead's was great. great man. Yeah. That was like, one of my kind of big memories of that night was obviously when he was, he was like doing his solo and juggling nunchucks and all, yeah. this, <laughs> all of this so crazy good. stuff. I remember when I saw him like solo and I was like, wait, where's the band? I didn't realize it was just him mm-hmm. and backing. And I was kind of like, oh man, okay. Well, I thought it was going to be, a but it didn't matter, man. He was so entertaining. He's so good. And then that whole thing, he does the robot and the nunchucks. Yeah. It's just like, dude, this is amazing. Yeah. Bu- yeah. Uh, Buckethead's. Really, we're hoping. Awesome. I mean, it's been postponed twice because of COVID, but we're hoping to go and see Guns N' Roses at, in Glasgow, funnily enough, next year. Um, so it'll be nice to see them with, with Slash and Duff because I saw them with Buggerhead. And then obviously Bumblefoot was there in 2006 when I saw them last. Um, and they didn't have a great reception. I think that's, um, Axel was 
kind of at the height of his sort of diva stage and he'd stormed off a couple of times. Oh, and boy. People yeah. were chanting for Metallica who'd been on the night before. And, ugh, well, like, so it takes you back to the 90s. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, and, I mean, to be fair, like, towards the end, it got really good because I think, I'm sure, like, Izzy Stradlin came on and Sebastian Bach no and way, all these, like, yeah, Izzy yeah. Stradlin, I didn't think that guy had done anything like I, that that surprises me that's amazing yeah, i know so Holy it was just shit. like it was, it was just awesome but like wow. it was just the start he's uh, <laughs> at one point he's because he'd slipped and he'd fallen and i think he was just a bit embarrassed and he walked off so people started booing oh, and he like came axel came over the pa just like i'm trying to have a nice time <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll try this again <laughs> <laughs> oh, him and Dave Mustaine, they are some cranky uh, bastards. That's yeah. what I was but thinking. Like, yeah. But then I feel like so the 2002 one was relatively uneventful. So it kind of felt nice to go to Guns N' Roses show and have that experience because that almost yeah. feels part of like what you what you would expect. I, yeah, and I've seen them both ways, and I just there I lo- I love it. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. when you see the iconic Guns N' Roses slash and mm-hmm. buff and all that, it's yeah. pretty incredible. But. I, everything I've been hearing from people that have seen it in the last few years, oh my god, you know, and it's just yeah, playing, excited. doing stuff like playing coma. You're like, oh, that just oh, <laughs> that was so cool, man. So I have not yeah. seen them either in recent years, but that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Like I say, hopefully next is it July? Next July. So if it doesn't get postponed again, um, yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah, man, totally. Hey. I've been saying this for years, but I hope I can get back over to England maybe next year. We'll see what happens. You know, yeah. every year we're like trying to plan something. Um, but I mean, obviously what's happened in recent years through a wrench in the world. So maybe mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be back to some sort of normality and fans will be touring more and, you know, they can, uh, cross borders and stuff. Yeah. It's definitely picking up more here in the UK. Like Blackstone Cherry have recently been over. Um, which is which is great, obviously. So that they've been able to do it, and obviously British bands are touring a lot more. So it's it's starting to pick up again. So. Did you see them recently when they were over there? Yeah, was it September? I want to say September. They, who was they uh, who was playing with them, or was it just them? Did they have another actor with them oh, or no? They did. Who was it now? Because it wasn't Jared Jared James Nichols, was it? Because I no. think he was touring with him here. here. No, it wasn't it? Was it was a guy called Chris Barris? So he's a Chris he's Barris. a singer somewhere oh. over here, but he's uh, he's pretty awesome too. He's really good. Okay. Okay. Well, cool, dude. Um, yeah, I mean, we could just yap all night long, but uh, <laughs> boy, you your know, daughter thanks. would be pissed if you hadn't. Had, I'm assuming you already <laughs> sang Beth, right? Yeah, that's all done. Okay, that's good, all done. Good. Yeah, I might just sing, I might just sing whole, it to myself. Whole, whole podcast. <laughs> he's, uh, he's gonna go throw on a kiss. kiss meets. Uh, was it the Phantom of the Park? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that right. Was... Just here, here, honey, watch this. I gotta go do a quick podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, no, thanks for having us. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, pleasure, Mike. Uh, it was really cool to have you on here. I, I absolutely love what you do. Your podcast is super cool. Great idea. And congrats with the success, man, and the, the, the guests you've been getting. I mean, fantastic. Yeah, really no, cool. Yeah. Like I say, I've taken a bit of a break now. Um, like I say, I've started a new, a new role at work, which is uh, obviously taking a lot of my time, and I'm going to plan to move house. So then there's going to be a whole new studio kitted out there ready for the next the next season of my classic album so yeah but hopefully that's good in the new, yeah. yeah totally all good stuff so uh hopefully in the in the new year we'll get cracking with some new new episodes and as the uh as the crowned victor of you know best album of the first <laughs> couple of seasons I, I i get to come back <laughs> oh totally absolutely yeah to be fair I, abby I'll road be... or pink floyd would be would be awesome choices now have so. have that Ooh. been picked yet has abby road been no. picked? wow no. if abby road has not been picked by the time i come back like that's gonna have to be probably be it cool so cool. 
Cool, man. Well, all right, brother. Um, have a wonderful night. Thanks again for coming on. Mike Norris, my classic podcast, everybody. My my classic album. Damn it. We're not talking about fucking podcast. We're talking about albums, for crying out loud. My classic album. This dude is cool. He knows his shit. Um, if you're, you know, listen to it. Go listen to it, music fans. Damn it. He's way more organized than, than I am. <laughs> All right. Uh, Anywho, um, any, anything else? We're good to go. What do you think? Got any words of wisdom for the kids out there, Vic? Um, go listen to some good music. <laughs> That's it. There you That's go. It. That's all Vic, you need. Doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be complicated. Go no. listen to good music. <laughs> That's it. All right. Until next time. This has been. I almost said my classic album. <laughs> this has been Eclectic Soundtracks with Mike Norris from My Classic Album. Victor Ramos, Skunk Manhattan, Mike Norris, later. Hey, folks. That concludes another episode of the podcast. Guest links will be available in the show notes. We'd like to thank our friends at Top Shelf Music for showcasing the podcast on their site. Be sure and check them out at TopShelfMusicMag.com for the latest music news, reviews, and events. We'd also like to thank the folks over at Tragen Guitars, Golden Guitars, Ernie Ball Strings, and Five Iron Woodworks. Have a great week, and catch you on the next one.